In the world of combat sports, Shoney Carter is known as Mr. International. Well, Shoney has nothing on my guest today. My guest today has played in several countries all over the world. I had to get to know his story. My guest today is Mike Dalhusen. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Tyner goes right to King Flaxenfeld. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, The Penalty Box. I am your host, Joel Lazito. Today we are in episode 31. 31 episodes. Thank you, everybody. For those of you who've been with me since the beginning, thanks. And for those of you who are listening for the first time, welcome aboard, and uh, I hope you enjoy the ride. I think it's a pretty good one. Today my guest is a player named Mike Dalhusen. And, um, well, that's his English name. When uh, before I started recording with Mike, I, I told him I said I had heard your name uh, pronounced probably three or four different times watching all the different clips and exactly how is it said because I strive for accuracy here and uh, he told me how to say it I said it and uh, he was very classy he chuckled a little bit and I said uh, maybe my uh, my American tongue is not meant to pronounce your name properly but um, where Mike is from his name is pronounced slightly different than how I say it but uh, you'd have to get him to say it the correct way but uh, it's I, Mike says close enough and uh, I'm sure over the years being that he played uh, in uh, numerous places here in North America he's probably heard it said a bunch of times so um, I guess this is for me it's as best as, as I could get it um, where did I come up with Mike Dalhusen well um, you know back in the day I said back in the day I should put a dollar in a jar every time I say that but uh, to me, one of the most important parts or the most interesting parts of the hockey season is training camp. And um, that's because in training camp, you get guys who are trying to make the team, uh, training camp invitees, guys that were drafted, uh, guys on, um, you know, that are under contract, that are young, trying to make a name for themselves. So training camp has always been a very exciting time for me. Plus, you know, the off season's over and you want to get back into the swing of things with the sport. And I remember... Uh, one year seeing Mike's name on the uh, training camp list and I also remember seeing that he was from the Netherlands so that jumped out at me immediately so um, I looked at his stats and where he had played he had put up some some pretty decent penalty minutes and obviously for a combat sports fan I associate the Netherlands with uh, 
with kickboxing and uh, some MMA. I mean, obviously, there's guys like Peter Arts and Boss Rutten that come right uh, right to mind, amongst many, uh, you know, the, the Roland Deckers. I mean, there are so many amazing combat sports people that are from the Netherlands. So it kind of piqued my interest when I saw the penalty minutes he put up and um, wanted to follow along in, in training camp. And eventually, Mike did get a game, an exhibition game in New Jersey, which we'll discuss. Um, he went to uh, Stockton after camp, uh, the East Coast League affiliate, played a few games in Bridgeport. Uh, then later he was moved to the Dallas organization. And, uh, you know, he, had, he, he did play some significant time here in North America, and, and obviously we'll get into that. And then um, just like that, you know, he's gone, goes back to Europe, and kind of fell off my radar. Recently, I've been going through some Bridgeport Sound Tiger rosters because I want to try to go a little bit outside the box. Uh, obviously, everybody wants to hear from uh, New York Islanders, and I am, uh, and obviously, yeah, of course, that's the goal is to get as many players that have played on Long Island to get in here. But I really, part of the reason why I, I started the show is because of guys like Mike, because uh, a lot of times these are the guys that have some really amazing stories, and, and Mike's story when he gets into it is is really really interesting so uh, this was a this was a pretty big deal for me and when I was making the list when I was going down the list of sound tigers and I saw Mike's name it jogged my memory and said that's the guy from the Netherlands so uh, I checked the stats wanted to see what he's up to and uh, thankfully he's on social media I reached out to him on Instagram I told him uh, what the show is all about he agreed to do it and uh, he was a man of his word and uh, we hooked up and we spoke for a good two hours and you know outside of the stuff that uh, is on YouTube I really had no idea uh, exactly the path that he took to, to get to where he is now he's still playing uh, I venture to guess that Mike will probably be the only interview with someone that I do that is currently in Slovakia so uh, so again you know I, I want to thank Mike because it's just I think it's a six-hour time difference and uh, he still made the time to, uh, to chat with me so, um, so Mike, if you're listening, thank you. And for everybody, that is just a little bit uh, of the backstory, and I mean a tiny bit of the backstory on Mike Dalhousen, because I really want you to focus on the questions in the inter in the interview, because the story is amazing. He's played in so many places, um, had so many wonderful experiences, and you know, for those of you that that uh, follow the guys that go to Russia, you know, Trevor Gillies, John Morasti, Jeremy Yablonski, those guys have some pretty amazing stories playing in Russia. And um, there are a lot of other guys like Mike Danton who, uh, who have some pretty, pretty bad horror stories. And, uh, and uh, Mike Dalhusen played in Kazakhstan for a couple of seasons. And I wanted to uh, kind of see what uh, his experience was like. And we get into that. So uh, definitely keep listening. I think you'll enjoy this one. Uh, and before I go any further, I want to thank my friend Yuka. Yuka uh, is based out of Finland. He's, he's a pretty big deal in terms of international hockey. And uh, I've known him a long time going back to the uh, mess fight message boards those days uh, and uh, Yuka and I uh, you know we've been in touch a lot lately and when I had uh, mentioned to him that I was interviewing Mike uh, Yuka's knowledge of the European leagues is, is pretty much second to none um, as far as on the ice and off the ice uh, he's helped a lot of players get a lot of places in Europe so he's got uh, a tremendous background in these European leagues and some of the stories he told me were pretty insane and uh, we touch on some of those with Mike and uh, a lot of this interview doesn't happen without uh, Yuka giving me some knowledge of some of these leagues that Mike has played in so Yuka if you're listening thanks very much for your help I really appreciate it 
So if you're listening to the show, uh, no matter what platform you're on, if you could give me a, a, a like, rate the show, review the show, uh, please subscribe. Uh, as I've said before, I don't know what the story is with Apple Podcasts, where it takes them forever to upload the episode. But if you subscribe, you get it instantly as soon as I publish the episode. And by you subscribing and rating the show and liking the show, uh, I think it increases uh, the show's uh, viewing or the, the potential viewers because I think it shows up more in the uh, suggested listens for hockey podcasts. So if you wouldn't mind doing that, I would appreciate it. Uh, if you're on Twitter, my personal Twitter is at Joe underscore Lozito. And the Twitter for the podcast is at Kali Sinbin Pod. So uh, go ahead and give me a follow. I'll follow you back as long as you're not a bot. I don't know. I've seen an uptick in... Uh, in bots recently on both on both accounts so uh, as long as you're a legitimate human then uh, I will definitely follow you back and uh, you know I guess it helps grow the show the more people that uh, that follow me and that I follow back and you know maybe tell their friends so uh, go ahead you know hit that follow button and I'll, I'll hit mine right back uh, Facebook facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast so as I say you know I have a Facebook page but I don't really use it too much and actually, I think the only real um, uh, posting that goes on my Facebook page, my personal page, is when people tag me and stuff. I'm, I'm more active, and by more active, maybe one or two posts a day on the um, podcast Facebook page. So if you go there, you know, give it a like. It's pretty much all um, Islander Enforcer information, all birthdays. Uh, I post a different fight picture every day. Just trying to, you know, keep it active and, and keep people interested. Uh, you know, so go ahead and, and give that a like. I'm on Instagram, Coliseum hyphen Chronicles. Uh, I'm sorry, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. That started out as my personal Instagram, but it's pretty much switched over to the podcast Instagram, and that will give you a lot of the same stuff that you see on Facebook. But again, similar to Twitter, uh, give me a follow, and I'll follow you right back. Now, as you know, the last little bit, I have promoted some merchandise that I have. Uh, the merchandise store is teespring.com slash stores slash Coliseum hyphen Chronicles hyphen merch. And if you don't have an identic memory, uh, just scroll to the bottom of the episode um, that you're listening to right now, and there'll be a link there if you're interested in, in some Coliseum Chronicles and Penalty Box merchandise. Have stuff for men, women, and children. Uh, it's getting a little cooler now that uh, fall is upon us, so maybe you need a hoodie, you need a regular sweatshirt. Um, maybe some of you don't wear socks in the summer. I have socks there too. Um, leggings for the ladies, uh, onesies for the kids, uh, kids' clothes. So uh, take a look at the store, check it out. Uh, I'm going to get a little more active promoting it online now. I'm going to have uh, try to have some discounts and everything. So uh, so keep an eye on the social media if there's anything you're interested in. Uh, I just added some masks because, like I say, who knows how long we're going to be a mask world. Um, and uh, some phone cases. So uh, definitely check out the store. And while you're checking out the store, you're going to see my logo, which to me is an amazing piece of art. And I say that because I didn't draw it. I couldn't draw it on my best day. The person who did my logo is a Long Island artist named Joe Marisich. You can hit him on, hit him up on Facebook. Nope, on Twitter, at GraphicsJoker. And at the website, LoudEgg.com. So you've seen me post a lot of cartoons, especially during the season, especially during the playoffs, Islander cartoons. That's all Joe stuff. Joe stuff is uh, second to none and um, he's not just a tune artist though he actually can do other art I don't want to typecast Joe as just a tunist but uh, Joe's really talented 
He's available for hire if you're interested. So uh, definitely reach out to Joe if you're interested in any sort of art projects. Now, I've already mentioned the Netherlands in this episode. And what is the Netherlands known for? Well, in my eyes, kickboxing. And if you're on Long Island and you want to start training in kickboxing or MMA or just get fit, the only place you really need to go is Belmore Kickboxing and MMA. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA is Long Island's premier mixed martial arts gym. They're open seven days a week. Uh, there's individual training. There's uh, weight training that you can do on your own. Uh, and there's a ton of classes for men, women, and children. Like I said, you can do private sessions. Those you would have to uh, figure out when you get there. Uh, UFC fighters, boxers, they train there. Uh, guys like John Vellante, Gregor Gillespie, Andre Harrison, who's in the PFL. Uh, they train there. Pro boxer Chris Algieri. Pro boxer Adam Kalnachki. Uh, Polish power Adam, he, he trains there. Uh, it's a pretty big deal. It's a great facility. It's an old school facility. Um, the trainers are excellent. Definitely give it a shot if you're looking to get in shape and you live here on Long Island or even one of the boroughs. I would venture to say it's definitely worth the trip in. Uh, I think uh, Adam Kalnachki lives in Brooklyn and he comes out here to train. Uh, the gym is located 2551 Merrick Road in Belmore. You can call them at 516-679-5997. Ask for Keith, Keith Trimble. You can also check out their website, belmorekickboxingmma.com. If you mention that you heard this on the show, you will get one free class. You just have to tell them which class you want. Maybe you're not into class. You want your, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, your wife. You have kids. You want them to take a class. Just mention the show. Call the gym. Go to the gym. Ask for Keith. Mention that you heard it on the show. And you, you have a free class, whatever class you want. Your choice. No obligation. I'm pretty sure once you take the class, though, you're going to be satisfied. And you might end up signing up. Support local business, everyone. Belmore Kickboxing and MMA. Train where the cha uh, champions train. Why can't I say that? Train where the champions train. A uh, little more business here. Not business, just suggestions. Uh, if you like my podcast, you like the guys I interview, there are a few other podcasts out there that you might like. One is the Fourth Line Voice podcast, which I think is, uh, not I think, I know. It's the, um, the original Enforcer-based podcast. Uh, Darren is the host. I've known him similar to uh, Yuka. Uh, I've known Darren a long time. We go back to the uh, fight message board days. Darren has two episodes a week. He's on the Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, one episode is a classic episode from his uh, old website, and one episode is a new a new episode that week. His latest episode, uh, he discusses the top five stars and top five lightning fighters. And um, who he has at number one for Tampa, my number one is his number two. But his number one for Tampa is a guy that a lot of people have number one on their lightning list. And... Uh, maybe I need to go back and rewatch some of his uh, lightning fights. And, and he definitely would be in my top three uh, list if I was ever to make one for the lightning. But maybe I'm selling this guy a little short. Not that a top three placement is uh, selling anyone short. But um, I was actually a little surprised that his number two, which I said is my number one, wasn't his number one. But, you know, Darren knows his stuff, does great stuff there on that podcast. Definitely give it a listen. And he also has a YouTube channel, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube, over 2,200 fights. As I always say, if you've watched the hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it was on Darren's channel. Five for Fighting podcast hosted by Alec Olin Salen. Alec's latest episode, I touched on it last week, uh, the former GM of the Danbury Trashers, AJ Galante. Uh, like I said last week, the interview was awesome, and it just brought back some, some real good memories because that team was unbelievable. 
and a bittersweet memory thinking about the opportunities I may have missed only getting up there for one game, but uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, definitely check out that episode. I think Alex is coming out with a solo episode soon. And uh, check out his Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook as well. Uh, I think there's 10, 15,000 members. It's, it's good stuff. Lots of, uh, lots of uh, former players are on there. Uh, they interact with you. They usually answer all your questions. And it's pretty much a good time. And if there's any goofballs on there, they're pretty much eradicated uh, by their second or third post. You know, it's just a place to respect the guys who did the job. It's a lot of fun. So check that out. And check out the Five for Fighting podcast. A third show that you might want to check out, and at this point it would just be the archives as he is taking the rest of the year off, uh, my friend Bobby at the Bucket Drop Podcast. Uh, he released his 50th episode a week or so ago. He's taking a break for the rest of the year. Season 2 is going to begin in 2021. Uh, check out his Twitter, please, at the Bucket Drop. Uh, he's selling hats, and the profits go to help child abuse survivors. He's selling caps. Uh, his uh, Twitter is at the bucket drop. I posted a photo on my Twitter this week that I just purchased one. Uh, the money goes uh, obviously to a very good cause. Uh, child abuse survivors. I mean, it really is, you know, very few causes as, as good as that one. Uh, definitely uh, consider buying a hat. And also, uh, like I had mentioned, to uh, Bobby's a Canadians fan. He loves Mark Bergevin. And um, if you could just fill up his timeline with pictures of Mark Bergevin, he would really enjoy that. It would definitely, uh, you know, just get him focused on the upcoming season. That, and uh, because, you know, Canadians are out of it. There's only two teams left. And, um, you know, he just, he's too embarrassed to ask for them, so I will. But any Mark Bergevin pictures, you know, older pictures, pictures of him now with his pipes. I don't know what that guy's doing, but, uh, you know, good for him. The guy's just massive now. So any pictures of Bergevin, just please uh, post them on social media, send him a, a message just at the bucket drop. Send him as much Bergevin stuff as you have. So, um, a few things I want to touch on this week. Obviously, for the Islanders now, uh, season's over. Now you focus on the draft. You focus on your free agents. And uh, they have a few free agents. Uh, five unrestricted free agents. That's Andy Green, Thomas Grice, Tom Kunakel, Chris Gibson, Derek Broussard, and of course, Matt Martin. Um... There's a few guys on there. I wouldn't mind having back. I wouldn't mind having back Andy Green, uh, Derek Broussard. Uh, Chris Gibson, I guess if he comes back, it's pretty much known he's going to be the third goalie or he's going to be the starter in Bridgeport because obviously um, with the two Russians up here, he's not going to get any time. There's no not that he's going to supplant them. I think he'd have to have the most amazing training camp ever to even, you know, sort of like uh, nudge either one of those guys, and it's just not going to happen, so... Uh, you got Varlamov, you got Sorokin, so there's really no room here for another goalie. So I guess if they do re-sign Chris Gibson, it would be uh, to play in Bridgeport. Maybe he has an opportunity somewhere else. And, of course, with those two guys here, that kind of pushes out Thomas Grice. And like I said last week, Thomas Grice has been a, a good soldier for this team. He's been he's been amazing for this team during his tenure here. And um, he's a guy, like, like Robin Leonard, uh, wherever Grice goes, I'll pretty much follow his career because uh, – He's been the consummate professional here. He's, he's done whatever the team has asked for him, and uh, I don't see him coming back, but I wish him well. Um, Kunakel, to me, uh, there are a lot of people that like him better than me. Um, if they bring him back, that's fine. If they don't bring him back, I'll be, I'll be okay. Uh, but, of course, for me and for the show, the one guy we're focused on is Matt Martin. I will keep everybody posted every week, although the way social media is, I could tell he could do something tomorrow, and I, I'm not going to talk about it till next week. But uh, obviously, I'll keep everybody posted on the Matt Martin status. 
obviously for me he's the most important unrestricted free agent and uh, I really want him to stay here so we'll definitely uh, well again I said well what an idiot I will definitely keep you posted and just a couple other things that happened uh, hockey related this week first thing um, with the playoffs going on the NHL released a video on social media and it's about you know typical uh, you know hype video I guess they're called where you talk about the playoffs and the sacrifice and what it takes and playing hurt and all this other stuff and it's the stuff that um, you've heard for years in all pro sports especially when it comes to the playoffs and boy oh boy did hockey Twitter lose its collective minds well it's pretty funny because it's the same gen it's this generation now it, it's just and I, I guess the thing that um, rubbed them the wrong way I guess that they can't relate to sacrifice because this is a very me generation they want things handed to them and I guess the idea of sacrificing is just foreign to them so I guess that's why it rubbed them the wrong way because of course any normal person will watch that video and just you know the NHL like I always say they're hypocrites because they'll show fight clips and everything and all their promos for upcoming games or upcoming playoff series but then they do their best to hush it out and now I'm not saying they have to promote it but you know they want allegedly they want no part of it but it's always in every promo package and you know like I said when the Islanders and Rangers play each other that is very prominent in their in their promotion for the game uh, but uh, you know they're hypocrites when it comes to that but when they put out this video it's just about how the journey to the playoffs and the journey to the cup and just the sacrifices and what it takes and yeah sometimes people get hurt but my favorite one my favorite one the criticism I heard is about players blocking shots <laughs> could you imagine could you imagine there's some somebody somewhere probably between the age of 17 and 22 and they're upset because players block shots <laughs> I mean, you can't make this stuff up. If you're if you're of a certain age, we've all heard of Craig Ludwig. Craig Ludwig, Ludwig, amazing defenseman, defensive defenseman, played on a lot of teams. And what's Craig Lud Ludwig known for? Besides the fact that I can't say his name right the first time, blocking shots. Craig Ludwig blocks shots. A lot of guys block shots. It's part of the game. But no, you're offended because they might get hurt. I mean, are you kidding me? So I guess this is a lesson for the younger people out there. No matter if it's hockey or football, sports or life, any occupation, you're going to have to make sacrifices at some point. And they may not be physical, but plan on it. Unless you're born like Paris Hilton into um, uh, you know, the, the hotel business, or you're not that you're in that business, but you're an heiress or you're an heir to billionaires or millionaires, whatever, chances are you don't have a safety net like they do. You're going to have to make sacrifices. And in sports, one of the things is playing hurt. And in sports, one of the things is sacrificing your body. And maybe that's the difference between guys who make it and guys who don't make it. Now, I'm not begrudging people who aren't willing to do that. If, that's, if you're an athlete and you're not willing to do it, more power to you for whatever your reasons are no problem but you better be super ultra mega talented if you're not willing to sacrifice your body at certain points to actually make the pros it's so difficult to make the pros and if you're not willing to to go that extra mile you're giving yourself 
a much, much higher hill, hill to climb here. So um, I don't begrudge anybody for doing it, but I certainly think these people who are just so offended, like I, I say it all the time, I cannot imagine waking up and looking to say, what's going to offend me today? Oh, a video that the NHL put out. I'm so offended. Look at these, look at these guys giving everything they have, sacrificing this and sacrificing that. I can't relate to that. That must offend me. And of course, you get the writers that uh, that are all over that, and the TV personalities that are all over it. They're trying to, you know, be a modern day hero for what I don't know. But uh, but yeah, that was that was a pretty big deal this week. It was so stupid. And uh, you know, like I said in the last episode, when I touched on the sacrifices that the players and the coaches and the staff made uh, going into this bubble for the playoffs, to me that just it just shows the character that they have, and I'm so appreciative for that. So. Um, like I said, to those guys who did that and to those guys who make the sacrifices and to people in general who make sacrifices. Um, I have a friend who is going to be away from home now for maybe four to six weeks on a job that he's doing because it's his job. He's sacrificing to help support his family, pay for his house, pay for groceries. That's part of the gig. So the, yes, to all you youngsters out there, you might have to sacrifice at some point. So get ready because life is not all roses. But uh, the fact that you're offended by that video that the NHL put out is terrifying. And the other news this week, where sports and politics come together again. So, uh, and if you listen to Darren's podcast, he touched on this a little bit. And uh, he's up in Canada, so he might be a little more informed than me. But uh, this, is what I could, this is what I could decipher. So, the Quebec League, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, not the LNAH, the, uh, the Junior League. Uh, approached the Quebec government. Uh, I don't know if they applied for it or they just approached them for some relief money to cover the cost of playing next season in empty arenas because nothing has been said yet. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I don't know if they've decided that next season's going to be in empty arenas, but I guess you have to make a plan for that. So either they're planning for it or it's already in motion. I don't know. Um, Alexander Pratt of La Presse uh, was all over this story, and he said uh, QMJHL Commissioner... Gilles Courtel met with Quebec's Minister of Education, Isabelle Charest, last week, and he asked for about $20 million to cover the cost of lost revenue uh, for the 12 teams that are in the province. I think there's 12 or 18, I'm not sure. Um, the minister was okay with the idea, but of course, she's a politician, so there is a caveat. So sure, you can have the money, but in return, I need you to curtail fighting. Could you imagine that? Sure. I mean, the Quebec League, I mean, junior leagues across Canada, Canada, and I'm not just talking about the three major junior leagues. I'm talking about lower junior leagues. These teams have rich histories. They're a part of the fabric of Canada. And the Quebec League is no different. They're not. I mean, it's think about the French-Canadian players that you're a fan of. Chances are they came through the queue. Okay, so that's a pretty big deal, but she wants them to curtail fighting. Now, according to HockeyFights.com, the Quebec Major Junior League had 323 preseason and regular season fights last year. Gilles Courteau responded to her request by proposing a rule. So now you know, five minutes for a fight. He's proposing a rule that now a fight's going to be 15-minute penalty. 
a 15-minute penalty per fight, and the player would be suspended one game after five fights in the season. Now, um, the OHL run by David Branch, who was such a patsy, um, the OHL has a three-fight rule. After three fights, there's fine suspensions, whatever it is. The Western League, of course, has zero, which it should be, but you can always rely on the Western League to do things right. Uh, the Quebec League, if I'm not mistaken, has a 10-fight rule. We, uh, in my interview with Yannick Turcotte, we talked about that, the 10-fight rule. So now he wants to reduce it in half, five fights, and a player would be suspended for one game after he hits five fights. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wow, the Quebec League must have all these guys who have 20, 30 fights in a season. I mean, they have to be. For this to be such a big deal, this, league, this Quebec Junior League must be the second coming of the LNAH because obviously with such a focus being put on fights, obviously they have a fighting issue. Well, here's the deal. There's 18 teams in the league. Nine players, nine players had more than five fights last year. Jordan Lepage, Liam Payton, Olivier Picard led the league with seven. Your league leaders in the Quebec League had seven fights. Jordan Spadafora had six fights. Okay? I might be leaving someone out, but you get the point. Seven fights led the league. Jordan Spadafora had six fights. Five guys had five fights. So that is a pretty small percentage of guys who are roughing it up even semi-consistently. Every other player in the league, besides Jordan Lepage, Liam Payton, Olivier Picard, and Jordan Spadafora, and again, I might be leaving someone out, but that's one other person. And five other guys had four fights or less. But apparently, this is some big thing now where we have to capitulate to all to the silent, well, the vocal minority. A guy like Ken Campbell you know, from the Hockey News, he was all over this story, and I'm sure there were others uh, that were all over this too. Campbell was all over it. But obviously, this is such a big deal. You can't have three guys with seven fights and another guy with six fights because obviously this is just tremendous. So now we have to try to curtail it even more. I mean, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. So uh, the Quebec League's Board of Governors voted 10 to 8 in favor of, it, of adopting the new sanctions. But in order for, these rule, for the rule change to pass, it needs to be endorsed by at least 12 teams. And there's speculation that some of the teams did not know that the government funding was tied to the vote. So they may have another vote. Who the hell knows? To me, it sounds like extortion. It does. It's a, we'll give you the money, but you got to do this. I mean, do you... Does what's her name? What what is this woman's name? Blah, blah, blah. Isabel. Does Isabel even give a shit about the league? Probably not. Which is sad, because you know. Now listen, if the if the government doesn't have the money, then hey, that's that's the deal. They don't have the money, but they obviously do have the money. So why does it why does it have to be conditional? If you want to help the league, pony up the dough. But fighting is not a problem in that league, like I said. Of course, some people will say, well, one fight is too much. One fight in hockey is too much. Oh, I'm terrified. So, of course, for those people, yes, fighting is a problem. But, you know, for, for those of us with a brain and for those of us who don't mind the odd scrap, fighting isn't really a problem in the sport anymore. I'm sorry to tell you that. 
unless you're 10 years old and you've never been exposed to how hockey used to be. Fighting's not a problem anymore. It's just not. And, I mean, here's the funny thing. This is the Quebec League, the Quebec Junior League, which happens to be in the same province as the aforementioned LNAH, the old Quebec League, where the league made its bones on, guess what? Fighting. And guess what? The league's very popular, and it's in the same province as the Quebec League. So, yeah, people in Quebec like the fighting. Okay, so this isn't going to go over well. Of course, the New Age fans will say, well, fighting is mean. Fighting is mean, and they probably say mean words to themselves, too. We have to get rid of that. Maybe there should be penalties for, for cursing and just saying unsavory things. Yeah, this is Quebec. They like fights in their hockey, just like every other place likes fights in their hockey. You ever notice when there's a hockey fight how nobody's sitting down? Yeah, there's a reason for that. Okay? So, to me, the, uh, the government is holding the Quebec League hostage because they won't help them out unless uh, they, they take these steps. Could you imagine a 15-minute penalty for fighting? Could you imagine that? In a league where three guys had seven majors? Uh, it's unbelievable. But again, it's, it's the further softening of society. It's, it's all this other stuff. It's blah, blah, blah. I hope I'm not turning anyone off, but chances are, if you're listening to this, you probably feel the same way about hockey fights as I do. But, but that was a big story. I'll definitely uh, keep my eye on that one. And, um, you know, I, I don't really know what else to say about that. It's, it's pretty embarrassing. But uh, I hope that uh, Isabel does not get her way. I hope that guys like Ken Campbell do not get their way. I hope the owners, you know, basically look at it like I'm looking at it like, yeah, we're being held hostage. What's the story with this? If you want to help us, help us. But this is bullshit that it's conditional. But like I said, I'll keep an eye on the story for everybody and uh, I'll keep you updated. Uh, again, it, it just, <laughs> it's just laughable. It really is. It's just laughable. But anyway, you didn't, uh, What I pumped up uh, Mike Dalhousen for you about uh, 25 minutes ago. So uh, I'm not going to make you wait anymore. So uh, without further adieu you know going with the uh, the french theme without further ado i bring you the interview with mike dalhousen ladies and gentlemen welcome back to coliseum chronicles the penalty box today i am so so very excited to bring you this interview because i have so many questions for this man uh he has played all over the world he was in training camp with the islanders uh, one training camp, got into uh, at least one exhibition game. That's where I, I first became aware of him. Um, I, I'm really, really excited to talk to this guy, and uh, and I know you will be too. Today, I bring you from Slovakia, Mike Dalhusen. How are you doing today, Mike? Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm doing really well. Thanks. So uh, first, uh, before we started recording, I, I'd ask Mike how to say his name the correct way, and uh, he says it in a way that I, I'm not capable of <laughs> saying. So I'm going to ask you, uh, your your hometown is that uh, Nijmegen? How, how does that how is that pronounced? It's, called, it's pronounced Nami. Okay. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about it? So, uh, yeah. So I was born there, um, and I grew up well about twenty minutes away from there in a small town behind an even smaller town <laughs> called Sint Akita in Holland. Um, grew up like any Dutch kid playing soccer, but unlike any other Dutch kid, I was playing hockey as well. So I lived in Holland until I was 11 years old, and I would travel to Nijmegen. It was my closest team, or closest to my hometown uh, hockey team. 
And uh, the reason I actually got into it because hockey's not a very big sport in Holland at all. Uh, my father uh, was uh, was a big hockey. Well, <laughs> to be honest, he was a big soccer fan. But mostly when he was younger, he would be uh, he was kind of a soccer hooligan, and he <laughs> he would go to the soccer games. So when the soccer um, season was over, like the winter break, he would come to the hockey games to continue fighting there against the other team supporters and that's kind of where all the soccer guys would meet up to, to keep their to keep their thing going and he was like man this is actually a pretty cool sport so if i ever have a kid i'd love for him to get into that and that's how i became uh interested in hockey so uh, I, I was basically started when i was two years old and i never looked back now am i correct in saying that um in Nether- in the netherlands that field hockey is way more popular than ice hockey yeah, yeah, it's funny. Uh, field hockey is really popular, and also speed skating. But combining them, it, <laughs> which seems, seems the most logical sport, like we should be sick at it because yeah. we're unreal at field hockey, unreal at speed skating, but we stink at hockey. So uh, it's interesting that way. Yeah. Now, um, for Americans here, probably North Americans, maybe people around the world, when you think of Holland, you think of the Netherlands, uh, people think of tulips, windmills, wooden shoes. When I think of it, uh, I'm a big combat sports fan, so I immediately uh, think of kickboxing. I think of guys like Ramon Deckers and Peter Arts, Ernesto Hoost, uh, Semi Shield, Boss Rutten. Is, is kickboxing anything that you were ever into, even uh, just to watch it? Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's becoming a it's becoming way more popular in the last 10, 15 years. And like, like I said, I was a kid when I lived there, you know, I mm-hmm. moved away at 11 years old. So I never really was into the into watching that. But as I grew older, I was aware that Holland was very good at, at combat sports, K1, Thai boxing, kickboxing, like everything. And, and so I was, you know, you naturally start following it along. And just if there's something interesting, some big fighter who, who's going to fight, you just the whole country watches it. So, so did I, I just kind of jumped on the bandwagon and, uh, also followed along in that sense, but I never really got into it uh, personally, no. Now, um, usually the first question I ask uh, of my guests, and I just want to get a little bit of a background from you before I ask you, is uh, when I was younger and I was playing street hockey here uh, in New York, I was always Clark Gillies or Bob Nystrom out there, you know, doing my thing. Uh, when you were a young kid playing hockey, who who were you? Who was your favorite player? Uh, well... Again, it's kind of funny because the only NHL I ever knew was from my hockey cards that I collected. Eh? So, like, I was I was idolizing the local imports that came over to play in Nijmegen in the '90s, where you know those guys. They're I'm sure they're no namers to to anybody listening, but those were my idols because they came over from Canada and they were you know the best ever. But I mean, back then Holland was a pretty decent country to to start your European career, so. Uh, I never like I knew the big names Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, like I knew those guys, but I never knew anything about anyone else until I actually moved over to Canada. So when I was playing street hockey, I was always just local guys, like oh. Dutch guys or imports. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about Ed Key? He's actually born uh, in the Netherlands, right? Right. Yeah, I don't know him personally. I think he was born there and moved mm-hmm. away at a very young age. Okay. And obviously, he's uh, he's quite a bit older than I am, but yeah. I don't. Personally. Now, uh, you're like a lot of uh, people in foreign countries in Europe and everything like that. Your English is excellent, uh, but you've played a lot of places. Uh, how many languages do you actually speak? 
Uh, yeah, that's also an interesting question. I, I would say that I'm comfortable speaking four languages, but uh, fluently just two. I speak I speak fluently in Dutch and in English. Mm-hmm. I speak pretty good German. I speak okay Russian and then a little Spanish because my summers I spend in Spain. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, when I played in Denmark, I was... I picked up quite a bit of Danish too, but that's been a while and I haven't used it since. So it's somewhere in the back of my mind, but I wouldn't say that I speak it at the moment. No. So you're, so, um, you said you moved away at 11 and that's when you moved to Canada. Right. Yeah. So I had to make a pretty big decision. Uh, I was 10 years old and, um, I was, I, I guess I could say that I was better than the average Dutch hockey player. And my dad and my mom said, you know, like, if you want to make a thing out of this, we can't stay in Holland. We'd have to move for you to be able to pursue a career. And so at the age of 10, I I had to decide whether I wanted to move away from my friends, my my grandparents, my cousins, aunts, uncles, everything I've ever known. Uh, and drag my eight-year-old, well, actually she was seven at the time, with me um, just to follow my dreams. And my dad made sure that if I... If I decided to do this, that well, both my parents did that. I wanted to uh, move over there, that I needed to start committing and be real serious right at the age of 11 years old. So I said, you know what, I do want to. And in April of 2000, we moved over to uh, to Lindsay, Ontario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, the first the first uh, record I have of you playing is in the uh, Eastern AAA hockey team with the Central Ontario Wolves. I guess it was. Uh, under 15 and under 16 you played there, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And what was, you know, obviously you were, maybe you were a big fish in a small hockey pond when you were in the Netherlands, but now you're coming to Canada where everyone plays hockey. How was that transition for you? Yeah, well, so actually I moved over when I was 11 and I started playing at right out Major Adams. So I was okay. uh, played for Central Ontario all the way up until I was 15. Okay. But uh, I, I came over as a forward and I was... I was kind of cocky. I was thinking I could do the same as I was in Holland. I got there and I said, I'm a centerman, you know, and the coach was like, okay, like, let's see. Mm -hmm. And I got the puck and I was expecting to just dangle through everyone. Like in Holland, it was me and another guy who actually also played overseas for a bit. And uh, him and I would put up eight, nine points a game together and we'd basically run the whole game. But there obviously it was extremely different and it was a big shock, big reality check for me. And my coach said, uh, you know, you're, we'd like to have you, but you're going to play defense. Mm-hmm. And I said, what? I'm not a defenseman. I score goals. And he's like, yeah, not anymore. You're a big guy. I'm going to teach you how to play defense. And so I, that, that was my transition. I, I went from uh, thinking I could wheel around and dangle everyone to becoming a stay-at-home defenseman and learning how to play defense right off the bat. And it was my only choice to play AAA. It was the team that was closest to my home. So I took the chance and... Uh, well, again, never look back at that either. And then um, after Central Ontario, you played for uh, Lindsay Muskies, which I guess would be your hometown team. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, the team president was Jeff Bukaboom. Is that right? Uh, not at the time. Okay. Um, but yeah, he was uh, in that organization somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was uh, playing for Central Ontario and the Lindsay Muskies at the same time. I would be like the young call up who would. Okay. You know, after one of the games, I'd go to the other other side of the arena where there was another pad, and I'd play the other game as well. Oh, okay. So I did that for two years when I was uh, 15 and 16, and then when I was 17, um, I stayed there. 
so one season. For someone like yourself, you're pretty. You're, I, you're a big guy. I'm assuming you were probably big, big for your age at that time too. And now they're moving you back to defense. Did you ever actually meet uh, Bukaboom? Because he, that was his role too. He too, he was a big man and he played a physical style on defense. Did you ever actually meet him? Uh, yeah. Well, I met his kids more because his kids are grew up there as well, playing hockey with us. So I was buddies with his sons. And but uh, I met him just as like the dad of my kids. You know what I okay. mean? I never really. Not not like wow, this is Jeff Bukaboom because yeah. he was just just the father of the guys that I played with and hung out with. So in that sense, in the sense that you're asking, no, not really. I never really asked him for advice or anything like that. Got you. And uh, eventually, I see you were drafted by uh, the Erie Otters in the sixth round. Um, did you end up going to training camp with Erie or no? No. So that was another thing. I my whole Canadian childhood, I had my 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 dream was to be able to play for Lindsay Muskies. Wow, if I could ever play for them, you know, that'd be unbelievable. And then I had that chance when I was so young, and I was like, wow, you know, I, I, the next step would be to play for, like, the Peterborough Peets, which mm-hmm. was the OHL team that was closest to us. And I was yeah. like, man, that would be unbelievable. But then I got that chance. I had a chance to, to get drafted much higher by many other teams, but I chose to go to the USHL round, uh, route, obviously. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Erie, one of one of the teams that came to my house was Erie, and it was uh, I can't remember his name at, at the time, right now, but he was a, the GM there, and he tried mm-hmm. to convince me to come over to Erie and play there. And I said, I have my mindset on going to college route, and mm-hmm. he he said, well, we're going to draft you anyways. So that's how he did. he drafted me and tried to convince me anyway to come over, but I never ended up going. Gotcha. Um, the next season, uh, 0506, and this is where you're going to have to help me out a little bit because this seems like a real interesting year for you. So you were still with Lindsay, but you ended up playing uh, World Juniors for your, your country, Netherlands. And I I don't know how <laughs> – there's a lot of information here. It, it says that you played uh, on the under-18 team, on the under-20 team, and then on the D1 team. So were those simultaneously that you played, or was it one after the other? How How did that work? Yeah, so um, that was all in the same year. Yeah, year. Uh, I I played on all those teams in one year. I was on the, at the under eighteen, and uh, I want to say it was Romania. Okay, and the coach, um, who was the father of one of the guys who played on the under eighteen team, said, "You know, I think you're good enough to play on the under twenties as well." So I joined the under twenties, and then he said fuck I think you could make it to the big like with the big boys. So I joined them as well. Uh, unfortunately, in my first year there, I got. Uh, I got mono right when we got there. It was in Estonia. Okay. So I only ended up playing two games. I stayed in the hotel room for most of the time. But uh, yeah, that, I, for someone once told me that, that that's never happened. Like no one's ever gone that before. Yeah. So I think, I don't know if that's true or not, but he said that I'm the first player to play on the under 18, under 20, and um, men's team all in one season. Uh, that's why I, I think they might be right because that's why when I saw it, I, I was like, I've never seen anything like this before. And is it true? Were you only 16 at the time? Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, I think I was 17 because I was okay. already, I was already uh, going with the Chicago Steel in the USHL. Okay. And you won two silver medals, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, that year, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, some of the guys, and, and I, I think I have the year correct, and if, if I don't, please let me know, that you may have played against were like Marco Sturm and Sasha Gotch, um, Stefan Ustorf, and uh, tough guy in his own right, Sean, Sean Selmer, Selmser, is that right? 
Uh, are you talking about the World Championship? Yeah, would have played against those guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't I don't remember to okay. be honest. There was one guy that played for Poland at the time, Marius Cherkovsky. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, that was like the guy that and, and Danius Zubrus. I think he okay. was. Where's he? Where's he from? Latvia or Lithuania? Yeah, one of those places. And he, uh, those were like the big thing, okay. big names where I was like, wow, NHL guys and play against those guys. But I don't remember any of the other names to be honest. Okay. Uh, so we move on to the USHL. Uh, first team was the Chicago Steel. And um, if my numbers are correct, the first fight you had with Chicago was with the pretty big boy that has uh, some NHL experience now, Stu Bickle. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. If, maybe that was one of the first ones. Um, I don't know if that was officially in the season. I, I know I fought a little bit in, in camp and mm-hmm. like the exhibition games. Yeah. But yeah, he tuned me up. I, he he, I would like I was uh, the, to- the coach told me, you know, if you want to make a name for yourself, go him. Yeah. And uh, so I was kind of bothering him. I think I was still wearing a cage, you know. And he said, just get away from me, leave me alone. And I really wanted it. And mm-hmm. I was slashing him. And finally, I said, all right, if you want it, let's go. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he definitely got the better of me. <laughs> uh, I remember hitting my head on the ice after and feeling a bit woozy. I was out for a week just with pre precautionary concussion syndromes but uh yeah that was not the way for me to start making my name (laughs) well he's a big boy and he's done that to quite a few people so there's no shame in that so uh, (laughs) so um a couple of fights that i had seen on youtube from that season i saw a fight you had with somebody named evan stevens that you did very well in and uh a toe-to-toe slugfest with andrew convoy do you remember those yeah, I remember the the convoy one because that was put on YouTube and that was yeah. one of my first ones that you know got got I don't want to say viral, but when mm-hmm. you YouTube wasn't even that big yet then, and people were like, "Oh wow, who put this up?" And so my buddies were watching it, and I remember that one because uh, he was trying to. I, I specifically remember he was trying to fight Sean Dolan, who was our centerman at the time, and he didn't want to. And I said, "Hey, I'll I'll fight you," mm-hmm. but he had no clue who I was, and I. I didn't really even know who I was. I didn't know I was able to fight. You know, I, I fought a little bit, but just like, just random, you know, no no strategy, no tactic, nothing. Just yeah. throwing punches and hoping that I get more than the other guy. And that was the same way against Andrew. And he's looked at me and he's like, oh, no, later. Yeah. And I said, no, now. So I took my cage off and he, he didn't, you know, he fought. And, uh, yeah, I, I was... I got a couple real good ones in, and I remember he had, he was in our locker room. He had his eye all stitched up after mm-hmm. the fight, and uh, he wanted revenge because he just, you know, he didn't really look good after getting after fighting me, and I was so young. So uh, he wanted to fight again, but I didn't I didn't fight again. I just said, man, you can't even see out of your eye, so I'm not even going to fight. But uh, I, I was also thinking, geez, I I definitely won this one. I don't know what would happen if we went again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I just wanted to go out with uh, you know winning at the time. Mm-hmm. Now this season um, you also went back. You played uh, the under eighteen and the under twenty, uh, and on the under eighteen team uh, you led the team in scoring. You were voted best defenseman, and you won the gold medal. So is that the first gold medal that you had ever uh, gold medal team you'd ever been a part of? Yeah, yeah, it was. That was in Hungary, and we won four three. The other team actually scored a goal like half a second after the game ended. Our goalie was celebrating a bit early, and they took a shot from the red line, and it went in. But after after the uh, goal judge, he, he said there was no goal, and there was huge riots in the stands and outside oh. afterwards. And we actually had to get escorted by like the 
like the MA team to go back to the to the bus and the cop cars drove us literally out of the city surrounding our bus because the people were throwing stuff at our bus and wow. but, so it was wild but it was our first gold medal we didn't even really get to celebrate it because they said you guys got to get out of here now and uh, <laughs> we just had to celebrate on the bus drive home to Holland so so it's not just the the soccer where the hooligans come out it's also the hockey like you said yeah, at that point, yeah, they yeah. were pissed because it was a super close call and there was no video and they just had to trust the goal judge who was, I don't know where he was from, but he definitely saved saved our ass that day. And then you also won the silver medal with the uh, under-20 team, correct? Yeah, yeah. That's, not, that's some pretty good hardware to have for a young man, right? Yeah, well, to, uh, I guess so, but to be honest, we played against some you know, not very big hockey countries. We would play against Israel, Mexico, mm-hmm. Australia, New Zealand. So it's nice to have this hardware, but yeah. at the same time, I got to be realistic and be like, you know, it was, we would, we beat New Zealand 21, nothing. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> so it's like, it's like not really even hockey. <laughs> I understand. Okay. I wasn't aware of that, but still it's, it's nice. You know, definitely nice to have, but like you say, as long as you keep it in perspective, then uh, then that's fine. But you know, good for yeah, you. Yeah, the, me- the medals the medals were the same as that they would hand out in the first league. So, yeah. like the, in, in, for Canadians, and I, all right, well, that's cool. I got the same ones that the first place and second place teams would get in the best competition. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. <laughs> so now, if we move on to the next season, then and I think this next season was probably the toughest one you ever had, and and uh, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. But the reason why I want to bring it up is. Uh, because of what you've done since then and uh, uh, your mom had unfortunately passed away Um, I think she um, had leukemia if I'm not mistaken and uh, I know I can tell just how much your parents mean to you the fact that they were willing to move to Canada uh, from the Netherlands for you for your to for your hockey career uh, pretty much tells me all I need to know about the character of both your parents Uh, so I'm sure that she was a big influence on you uh, so if you, you know, and I know, fortunately, you said that uh, I saw an interview, you were able to go see her uh, before she passed away. And if you could talk about some of the things you've done, like the live hockey stuff that you've done uh, since then to, to help raise money. Yeah, sure. For, I don't mind talking about it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it was obviously the most difficult time that I've had to go through yet. But um, um, I had a really good support system. I was playing in Lincoln at the time. Uh, my mom had been sick before. Uh, she beat it. She beat leukemia. You're right. She had leukemia. She mm-hmm. had it, and she got better, and then um, she got it again while I was playing in Lincoln. And I pulled up to the rink, and my dad called me. I remember I was sitting in the parking lot, and he called me. He said, you got to come home like ASAP because the doctors are saying she's not going to have even a couple of days. So I uh, went into the rink, and I talked to my coach, Jimmy McGordy. And he told me, like, let's go for a walk. He talked with me for a while. The team booked me my flights home. And an hour later, I was on my way to uh, the airport in Omaha. And the next day, I was at, at home in Holland. And uh, she ended up passing away in November uh, 2007. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there until after Christmas time. When I came back, um, all the guys on the team had gotten stickers of my mom's initials on the back of their helmets. It's great. Which was really, really, really nice for me to see. And uh, they actually got them before she passed away. So my mom was, I, I showed her like a picture. I said, hey, the guys are wearing these stickers for you and stuff. So she got to see that too, which was really nice. And uh, yeah, when I came back, um, I was thinking, 
you know, I, I could either use this as an excuse to go off the deep end and blame whatever path I go down now on that. Because, uh, to be honest, my friends and not necessarily my family, but my friends were kind of worried that I would, you know, take a path, not a really good one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they were really worried with about me and always being extra supportive to the point where I said, hey, guys, like, this sucks, but... I'm going to be fine. And then instead of doing something bad and blaming whatever else, I'm, whatever I, I do on that, I would like to turn it around and see if I can turn it into something good. So I started these bracelets, which were popular at the time from, through Lance Armstrong, mm-hmm. Livestrong bracelets, and I made live hockey ones. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, literally just contacted a factory in China. My father's an entrepreneur, and he's been in a, he's been done a lot of, business in China and he told me uh, he'd help me find some contacts and I found a factory in China that made them and I just sent them I took a pen to paper and I drew a picture and I sent it to them I said this is what I want and they just sent me these bracelets and I started selling them for two bucks a piece and everybody in Lincoln was wearing them and uh, the money I was saving I was putting it in a separate bank account Mm -hmm. and uh, I I just was thinking about what to do with it and finally I, I think I got so I don't even remember the first amount, but I think it was like five grand or something. Wow. I, don- I donated to the General American Cancer Society. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was in the uh, same year that my mom passed. It was like a couple months later, so I was able to sell. You know, I sold. I don't want to say twenty five hundred bracelets because I sold them for two bucks a piece. Because a lot of people would say, you know, here's twenty bucks. I'll just take mm-hmm. one. And gotcha. So people really donated and were super friendly. Uh, so I did that, and I. And then I felt a little awkward because I gave a check that I that all the local people from Lincoln pitched in towards, and a lot of other teams in the USHL's fans bought them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just gave this this woman who I didn't know a check, and I was just kind of hoping that it would go to the the right people, not knowing for sure. And I was thinking, you know, the next time I do this, I would like to find a local person in need of of help. Right. And uh, so I started saving the money again. Uh, after the first donation and after that I started thinking about local people uh, the second donation I made I don't uh, don't really remember mm-hmm. who it went to Yeah. but the third one I made it to like a local person in a university it was a young boy named Jordan Jakes and he he had gotten oh man he had a real, real rough life he'd gotten I think six or seven times different types of cancer oh my and he needed money for a band so yeah uh, yeah I think he he got like ten grand or something like that. Awesome. So in, in university, a lot of people supported me, and I I didn't have to do all the lugging myself. Like we had people that would sit in between games and sell them, and it was it was really great. Everyone chipped them. So, but after that, I you know I, when I went pro, there even like in Bridgeport when the bracelets were still pretty big, mm-hmm. um, the fan uh, was I called like Booster Club. Yeah, Booster they, Club. They, yeah, they helped out and stuff like that. But after that, I was bouncing from team to team, and I just I couldn't really keep up anymore. And mm-hmm. asking, I didn't really know people, so I had to constantly ask people to help me out. And mm-hmm. not that they weren't willing to, but it was more uh, more difficult, and it kind of yeah, slowed down. I got you. That's amazing. I mean, obviously, um, condolences on, on your mom. And I know it was years ago, but that kind of hurt never goes away. But <laughs> I mean, compliments to you for doing everything you did. That's amazing because you've helped so many people. Yeah, thanks, man. It was it was really really cool to see all the people that I met. And after the bracelets, I still 
I really enjoy visiting hospitals and, and uh, you know, rather than just even it, not donating money, but just, just, I don't know, getting toys for kids yeah. or just doing stuff for the people who are less fortunate. And, and I don't know if I would have been so in touch with that side of myself had it not been for my mom's passing and had it not been for visiting her all those, all those, well, the first time it was months in the hospital and, and seeing that it's not obviously just me who's affected by it and my family, but tons of other people. And I was thinking, man, you know, there's so much things out there that, that I didn't even know. There's not only me and my sister who are sad. There's thousands of kids out there who are sad. So I, after that, I, I not really raising money anymore, mm-hmm. but I really enjoy doing that. And I'm thankful that that came out of uh, such a bad exp- experience. Yeah, and I mean, it, it. obviously I have a ton more questions for you, and they just don't seem as important right now after talking about the situation with your mom. But, uh, you know, like I said, just it's amazing what you did after that, and uh, it just shows, a, like I said, a character that you have and the strength that you have. So it's uh, it's pretty inspirational, uh, you know, definitely, Mike. That's uh, that's unbelievable. So, uh, so like I said, yeah, full, full compliments to you. So, uh, like I said, it's a little weird going back to hockey, but uh, – but if you if you don't mind, then yeah, we'll go back to, to talking yeah, about hockey. <laughs> okay. So uh, so you had mentioned that this year uh, you were with Lincoln and you had a couple of teammates that were were two of the tougher guys in the league, and that was uh, Brandon Bolig and Mike Sadow. Uh, you remember playing with those guys? And you have any uh, any funny stories about them? Oh man, we had a we had a ridiculously tough team that that year. We had uh, you know, we had Bolig, uh, Sadeo, We had a, a guy by the name of Kyle Fulmer, um, Travis Erstad. Uh, and myself and I remember one of the first games our, our rivalry was against the Omaha Lancers and they had a bunch of tough guys too they had Convoy they had a guy on defense what was his name uh, huge he had a huge beard and I was always like man that guy's got a sick beard for, for a 21 year old but they had a bunch of tough guys and uh, I remember it was sold out you know the Lincoln Omaha games were sold out real quick and it was packed and unbelievable atmosphere I don't know if you've ever seen the introduction in the Lincoln Stars Arena but it's uh it's 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 really electric literally they have this huge star come down from the roof and there's lightning in the rink and we had our first line starting and uh they called the timeout and just put their five fighters on there Mm -hmm. uh, on the ice uh, their five toughest <laughs> guys they called time up before the game even started and our coach just looked around and our coach definitely jimmy mcgordy mm-hmm. he, he definitely loved the rough stuff as well and he said all right let's do this <laughs> and he sent us five out there fulmer erstad bullig uh, me and sudeo and he and we dumped a puck in on that and it was just the mayhem right away we, uh, <laughs> everyone grabbed somebody and started throwing and um i remember the referee uh took Comboy and Bullock had each other, and they they got grabbed first. But Sadeo was just, uh, you know, and, and like sitting on a guy, just pummeling him left and right, just ground and pounding this guy. Mm-hmm. And by the time Comboy got to the uh, the penalty box, he, uh, the referee skated to break up other fights, and Comboy saw that Sadeo was just destroying this guy, and he got back out of the box and flew at him and <laughs> tried to rip him off which at that point Bullock gets back out of the box and so it's uncontrollable it lasted for three four minutes and eventually guys just got tired and and, and bloody and, it, and that was one of the first games in Lincoln I was like holy smokes where am I, I like it. <laughs> and that was when I still really loved fighting you know? yes yeah. I, I was like super fired up mm-hmm. up and I I really really enjoyed it. 
So the the well, U.S. Yeah, that, that was definitely one of definitely sorry. That no. was one of the main ones that stuck out in my mind. And another one was uh, Jimmy was an extremely emotional coach, and mm-hmm. I think we were losing three or four nothing against Cedar Rapids going into the into the third period, and he came in into the locker room with a, his his hands full of cages. He had a bunch of cages in his hands. <laughs> And he's going around to guys going, you're a pussy, you're a pussy. <laughs> and he's handing these handing these cages out to these guys. He goes, not in life, but yeah. just right now, like, mm-hmm. you're a pussy. And he's handing these cages. <laughs> so guys are all unscrewing their visors uh-huh. and ta- tossing, putting these cages on. And he gets to me, and I throw it back at him. I said, I'm no fucking pussy. <laughs> and, uh, and he's just like, you see, that's what I want to hear. The uh-huh. first guy to stick up for himself. Uh-huh. And then he goes, everyone with a cage, you better fight. So we, like, right away, everyone fought. And... Uh, we ended up winning 5-4 in overtime. It was an unbelievable game as well. <laughs> oh, man. So we, there's, like, so many hilarious stories about that guy, but those two definitely stick out in my mind. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, there were a couple of fights that I had seen on YouTube. Uh, one was against a guy, uh, Michael Keenan, where it seemed like it was it was pretty rough at the beginning for him, and then it got worse at the end, and you put him down uh, pretty, not easy, but you, you, you handled him at the end. Do you remember that fight? Uh, no, okay. not really. Yeah. Not really. Those are, those are a while ago. Yeah, so yeah. I don't really remember those, but if you've seen them, then I guess I have to be able to see them somewhere <laughs> as well. So every, I, I don't really remember. Every fight of, those on YouTube. Yeah. Every fight that I'm going to ask you about, I saw on YouTube. So thank God there's YouTube now, because obviously I, I wasn't in Lincoln and I wasn't in Chicago and I definitely wasn't in uh, Europe when you had some of these. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's good. Uh, well, uh, two fights that I didn't see, but I didn't know if, um, if there was anything between you and this guy, the, your last two fights of that season were, uh, against the, uh, guy who led the league in penalty minutes, Pierre Paul Lamaru. Uh, I didn't know if there was anything more to that or just uh, part of the game. Um, I think that it was just a heat of the moment thing nothing specifically against him i don't mm-hmm. really know him at all i mm-hmm. actually became really good friends with his brother mario mm-hmm. we played together in denmark and uh yeah he said like you know I, I never thought i would say this in my life but nice to meet you he said <laughs> <laughs> when i first met him uh yeah but I, I i remember fighting against pierre paul but for maybe for no reason nothing personal no yeah and again, that year you played uh, you played for the Netherlands in the under twenty. Um, you had a great tournament. It looks like you led the team in scoring with eleven points. Again, uh, voted best defenseman, and you got another silver medal. And I know that you sort of played those down, but uh, I, you know it, it has to be said that you know you guys maybe are playing like a second you know second division, but you, you know you're still doing very well. So are you getting more and more comfortable playing in these international tournaments? Is this kind of reminding you of back in the day when you were uh, a kid in the Netherlands, just, uh, you know, deking through guys left and right? Um, it's like you say, like, I have to be realistic. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, you, it's easy to put up points when you're killing teams. Like, yeah. I, we played against Mexico once, and I remember they were on the power play, and I took the puck behind the net because we were, we were on the kill, and mm-hmm. they – they didn't know what to do because they they were like, well, we don't have the puck on the power play. What do we do? You know, and I just stood behind the net for at least thirty seconds until one of their guys came and chased me out from the net. I just did a full circle around the net, and and he just looked at his coach. He goes, I, I don't know what to do. I, I was able to hold on to the puck 
for like almost the full two minutes until all four of their guys came at me and I sent the puck on a far pass and we went on a 2-1-0 on a penalty kill. So it's like, yeah, I had successful tournaments, but at the cost of kids who obviously had zero hockey experience. So yeah. getting comfortable, I don't know, yeah. not really, because you just I couldn't really compare it to the hockey that I was used to playing and it's just... I almost started feeling sorry for some of the teams that we played against you know, I guess, because yeah. we light them up so bad. But which, uh, you know, when we won the gold medal against Hungary, we went to the not the top division, but mm-hmm. like the second division, and um, against teams that were at the moment was like Austria, England, France, and it was I was already too old, and so was the other guy who I mentioned uh, played overseas before, mm-hmm. Mitch Blauste. Uh So without couple of the 89 birth years uh the roles were reversed the next year they were getting lit up 15 nothing and wow and stuff like that so yeah it was it was uh not very fair Mm -hmm. the way that they yeah i don't know distributed (laughs) the the the, the games i don't know how to say it but you know what i mean yeah definitely uh, we go to the next season. You're back with Lincoln. You had an amazing season. You had uh, 19 points in 51 games, 140 penalty minutes. Now, uh, you still have uh, Sadeo as a teammate, but uh, you had a new teammate this year. I don't know. Is it uh, Jimmy Sears or Sires? Sears, Sears. yeah. Holy smokes. And, uh, that was a tough guy. From what, I, what I've been told, he, he knocked guys out sort of regularly, and I was also told that there are actually four Sears brothers. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Seriously, uh, he's a super, super interesting guy. He had a, yeah, he had a friggin' hammer for a fist. He was knocking. If you got hit by one of his punches, you were going down. Yeah. And he was so calm about it. After his fights, you know, he would calmly skate to the to the box and just sit there and like, well, yeah, but I just did that. But <laughs> you know, for compared to me, who was like, I was pumping up the crowd and I was super fired up, and he was so tough and. Uh, but his problem was that he was always his shoulder would always pop out, mm. and so he he is having a really tough time with that. Um, I don't know his brothers, but mm-hmm. I do know that he came from a big tough family, and uh, I remember he, he before like the supplements and stuff like the protein blah blah. He mm. was really into all that stuff. He was very health conscious and. He did a lot of things to get better. Uh, he had—I remember—he had real bad foot problems. He had no skates that could really fit him. And mm-hmm. when he went to Brown, he went to Brown University. He uh, started like researching on his own how mm-hmm. to cure his feet because he, no one could help him. Wow! Super, super interesting guy. Extremely tough, and yeah, definitely was just knocking guys out left and right. And this team. Perfect. Perfect Lincoln Stars player at the time. <laughs> and you were talking about how tough your team was the year before, and this year, uh, you and Sadeo and Sears, you guys actually were three of the top nine guys in penalty minutes in the entire league. So um, was the league basically like that during your time there where every team had maybe two or three guys that did it, or were you guys like the scourge of the league? Yeah, I think that Lincoln was not a really a place that – players like to come yeah <laughs> uh, play against definitely it was we had a tough team and it was we were built off that i remember my first year trying out for lincoln uh the coach jimmy came up to me and he said hey uh heard you could fight why aren't you fighting you're playing great but you know we also looking for someone that can do both and i said i've been trying haven't you noticed and he said yeah but you know try harder so i'm trying <laughs> no one wanted to fight me and then uh third 
you know, like the all-star game, quote-unquote all-star game, where mm-hmm. it's like two teams left, and after that, the coaches make decisions. Yeah. Third period, me and Bullock, we were on the same team. We, I think I was on black, and he was on white. and uh, Or, sorry, we were on the same team. We were both on black, and Jimmy comes in, and he throws a white jersey in the middle, and he goes, Bullock or Dal, he's like, I don't care who, put that on. You know why. <laughs> and so... Uh, we both looked at each other. There's still like 15 minutes left of the Zamboni to go out there, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be a really tense 15 minutes. So I just got up, put on the white jersey, and then I said, do you boys mind if at least I stay in this locker room because my stuff's here? Everyone kind of laughed, and I said, so I lined up on winger, and me and Bolick fought, and that was my one fight in camp to show Coach that I could fight. And So he loved that. He yeah. loved building like a, a hard, tough team. Uh, so definitely I think that Lincoln was – was up there in toughness. Uh, Omaha also, because the rivalry, I feel like they also needed a couple guys to not get bullied around when they played us. But um, there's a, there's quite a few tough guys in that league, but I don't remember every team having some. We, I remember just we, we would we wouldn't be mean to teams and no one would do anything back. I remember one game we were, we were warming up. We'd warm up as a team, go for like the – the pregame run, and we were, we ran right through Waterloo's uh, uh, two touch game. They were playing two touch, <laughs> and we ran, ran, entire team just ran right over there, and kicked their soccer ball down the stands, and just kept on running. No one did a thing. Oh my god! <laughs> so we like had the, had the game won before it was even started. You know. So you were literally like the Broad Street bullies of the USHL. We were trying to be, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It wasn't. It didn't. Uh, it also kind of added fuel to the fire that the Lincoln fans were just super, super nuts. You know, they loved it, and there's a ton of energy that was in that barn all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was great. It was really great. Now that season, you played in the USHL All Star Game. So, uh, is that like uh, two conferences? Like, is it like a typical All Star Game where um, you know your conference versus their conference, or, or uh, was it a different sort of um, you know matchup? Um, I think it was just a mixture of all the guys and mm-hmm. they just put it into two teams and it was, you know, they told us not to take it too seriously, which for me, for me at the time was really tough. I was, uh, you know, I never really did anything just for fun, right, right, <laughs> and whether yeah. it would be Monopoly or hockey, like anything in between those two, I would, I always wanted to win. And so I had to take a step back and realize, okay, like this is something that they told me over and over again. Just have fun. Even like, even Jimmy told me, like, hey, when you go there, enjoy it. It's not about winning. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't fight. Just just enjoy it. You know, I was I was very different uh, back then in terms of mentality and the way I was, the way I thought. And mm-hmm. um, but it was it was a great time. I got to meet a lot of the guys in the league that you know obviously I only see on the ice and. We had a really good time during that All Star game. Was also when I committed to Quinnipiac. I remember specifically, so uh, that was that was a nice time. Well, that was obviously uh, we were going to go there next. So um, you had mentioned earlier that you that was your your route that you wanted to take. You wanted to go uh, U.S. college route uh, that you had made up in your mind years ago. You never wavered from that. Obviously, um, well. I kind of was, it was sort of like a last minute decision when I was getting all the interest from the OHL. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the t- people that talked to us, they were saying, you know, we love a guy that can play but also fight. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, not as much about the fighting as my dad was. And mm-hmm. she's like, you know, like, what happens if you just get pummeled by these big mean goons? And <laughs> by the time you're 19, you're going to have damage to your hands and your head. And 
And then my family advisor suggested the USHL, and it was something I'd never heard about, and my dream was always to play OHL, mm-hmm. and especially because I, I knew I could get really high draft pick, and I was like, that increases my chances of getting drafted to the NHL as well. And So uh, I didn't. I, I changed my mind to go to to USHL college route um, mm-hmm. like last minute. It wasn't, I didn't really know anything, but this guy just, our family advisor at the time just convinced me that this was also a really good job and you could get four more years after juniors and just play more and get a free education. And so like, I, I kind of changed my mind last minute. And after that, yeah, I never looked back, even though I had another offer after my second year in Lincoln to go, uh, to go play in London. Okay. London, to London Knights and, uh, which was, uh, ironically enough, the only team that didn't want to that I didn't talk to when it was my time to be drafted. <laughs> I think that's always how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but obviously, I stayed. Um, so you mentioned that you committed to Quinnipiac. Were there other schools that you were interested in, or was that pretty much the one that you had focused on early on? No, I I didn't really know anything about schools. Mm-hmm. I uh, I loved hockey, but I didn't really do anything. Like I never. I never watched it. Uh, I, I, co- I collected hockey cards as a kid, but I, I loved playing it, and I didn't really know anything else about it. Like I, I remember when I first got to school, they said, what, what do you want your major to be? I had no idea what a major was. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. You tell me. Like, yeah. What do you mean? But, <laughs> so I had no clue, but when I started getting interest from uh, other teams, from schools, um, it was Boston College was the first one, mm-hmm. but they, uh, they said they could offer me a half-ride scholarship, and my dad said like okay but you got to get a full one because he never really believed in uh paying 100 grand for yeah. two years of school mm-hmm. and uh because he never went to school he stopped going to school when he was 14 and he's very successful now so he's he thinks school is a load of crap yeah mm-hmm. and uh so i kept on uh <laughs> waiting for mm-hmm. higher offers i got an uh, offer from union and uh st lawrence i went on an official visit to st lawrence um after the visit, they asked me, what do you think? And I was in love. I, I Actually, Bolig, Brandon Bolig was there at the time, and he showed me around, and I had a really great time there. And, yeah. Uh, I said, you know, I really like it. And they said, so would you like to come in? And I said, well, I'm also going to visit the other school, Quinnipiac, who has already bought me my flight ticket, so I have to honor that. But, mm-hmm. like, most likely I'm going to come here because I really like it. And they said, oh, well, you know, you don't have to, like, honor that if it happens all the time that you fall in love with the first school and like you don't have to go to your other visits I said no I feel like I need to mm-hmm. and I kind of understood why they were trying to con- not convince me but persuade me to sort of say like yeah, just commit now because when I got to Quinnipiac they had just built their brand new 50 million year, uh, dollar uh, facility Nice. everything was top of the line it was so beautiful uh, it was a private school and it was unbelievable and I just yeah, it's like wow, this is next level. <laughs> this is this is uh, definitely a place where I can definitely grow it as a player, develop and get better. Uh, I decided right then and there that that was definitely the place I'd like to go. Now, as someone who played four years of college and then went on to play pro, there's always this debate amongst the anti-fighting people, hockey fans, whatever. Uh, I think that the college game is dirtier than the pro game because everyone's wearing full cages and even little guys feel like they're 10 feet tall because they know that they can't get punched in the face. But as someone who played college and played pro, uh, which game do you find dirtier? 100% college. 100%. 
you get away with everything there. You get two minutes and then you go back and do it again without any consequences. You know, you fight and you're suspended and it, you fight again and you're done for the year or whatever it is. Like the, the rules there are uncomparable to pro hockey and like exactly what you said, the guys who who would shit themselves and in, 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 in juniors would be the biggest, toughest guys on the ice all of a sudden. It's yeah. like, man, what, who are you kidding? Wait four more years until it's over and then, <laughs> and then you're done too, you know? Yeah. You're, you're going to hide. You're going to crawl back into your hole after that. So stop doing that now. It was uh, it's definitely dirty. Yeah. yeah. Now your, your junior year, if I'm not mistaken, your junior year was, according to what I've read, that was the last year you went uh, back to play uh, for the Netherlands. Is that right? No. No, oh. I, uh, I I think I played uh, one more time. Okay. My the, the last time I played for the Netherlands was when I was in Kazakhstan already. But I guess oh, okay. Okay. further down there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. I yeah, I hadn't seen that, so that's all. Okay, we'll so get then, to that later. Yeah, so forget that one. Okay. Um so I, I guess natural progression, uh you had it, you know, the first three years college really good, but that your senior year, uh your team was a machine from from all the research I've done. You had this team, uh your team went on a twenty one game unbeaten streak, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I mean yeah, did it was you a super special year. Did you guys feel like you could do nothing wrong during those twenty one games? It's funny you ask that because that was the question that I was asked after our first tie. Mm-hmm. We tied against RPI. We were down two nothing with like two minutes left, and we ended up tying it. <laughs> and in college, there's ties, so it was two two yeah. at the end of the game. So we still continued our non beat streak. And after the game, I got interviewed, and the guy asked me that, and I said, "Well, yeah, I'm surprised. You know, I felt <laughs> I'm surprised we tied because we were so confident in winning." Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when you're on such, when you have such swagger, it's like nothing can go wrong. Even yeah. going in, like with five minutes left, being down to nothing, our coach called timeout. He's like, "Guys, are we really gonna lose?" And everyone's like, "No, no, yeah. we're not gonna lose. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get this." And so we just, we ended up scoring two goals uh, and tied it, which is when you have such a high confidence and such a swagger amongst everyone on the team, like you do really feel like nothing can go wrong. Yeah. And um, so that team made it to the Frozen Four, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was the first time that Quinnipiac had ever made it to the Frozen Four, correct? Yeah, that's right. My freshman year, we were the first, the first time they'd ever been ranked. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we we were as high as number four in the country at the time, and then uh, my senior year, uh, first time ever getting to the Frozen Four. Now, now Quinnipiac is is that that's a hockey school, if I'm not mistaken. Like you have like Georgetown, people consider basketball. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame is hockey. Quinnipiac, um, Notre Dame is football. Uh, Quinnipiac is a hockey school. Yeah, definitely. Now they have a basketball program as well, but uh, the hockey games definitely attract more people. I got you. And then uh, you made it to the final in the Frozen Four, but you lost to Yale, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's that's sour. That's still kind of sucks to talk about. Yeah, um, they they were the wild card. They made it in as the 16th, 16th seed, and wow. uh, yeah, they we beat we smashed them three times in the season, or four times, twice at home, twice away, uh, whatever it was. We we were so good, we owned them, and then uh, I think they thought that their season was over. Like from what I heard, they were already on their bender week, and they'd already. And then finally, our, their coach was like, "Hey, like." Guys, let's get together, have a few beers, watch these games, because if this and this and this and this happens, then there's a chance that we might get in, and this and this and this and this happened, and then wow. they're like, wow, we're going to might get in, and then they 
I don't know. They were rejuvenated. They felt good. They were excited to be in there, and and they just went on a tear. And yeah. they, uh, we we were watching. I think we had a post game dinner at Dave and Buster's mm. uh, at the pro, yeah. at the and and we were watching their game, and they beat. Uh, who was it in overtime? But they mm. won in overtime, like ten seconds into the overtime, they won, and we were like, "Holy shit, we're gonna play Yale, the team that's fifteen minutes down the street, they're only fifteen <laughs> minutes down the road from Quinnipiac, so it was huge." And uh, everyone was constant. No one ever beats anyone four games in a row. Like it's yeah. rare, and you know, we heard that all the time from every interview. Do you guys mm. really think like uh, you can beat them four times <laughs> in a row because like this and that and I don't know. They played unbelievable. They had a really sick goalie that game, mm-hmm. and uh, we lost four nothing. Wow! I, uh, I there's some footage on YouTube also of the uh, the Quinnipiac fans after the game. Uh, they weren't happy. It looked like uh, I, I don't know if it was outside somewhere on campus or not, but uh, looks like the police had to be called in, and uh, it definitely seems like you weren't the, you weren't the only ones that were sour after that one. Uh, they had a massive watch party, yeah. and uh, the campus is—it's uh, not really, real, not really big. It's very tight. People are very close uh, uh, there, and so as soon as we lost, everyone went out. And I, I remember seeing all those videos on the yeah. bus ride home. Like guys were ripping down trees and yeah. fire and stuff, and it, I was nuts. Yeah, and uh, for if you're interested, I don't know if you're aware of this or, or if the uh, people that are listening are aware of this. You are eighth all-time in penalty minutes in Quinnipiac history. I don't know if you're aware of that. I did not. (laughs) Yeah, you have uh, 223 penalty minutes in 143 games. So I always like to throw out stats like that. So, uh, you know. Yeah. (laughs) So now your your college career is over, and you end up signing with the Islanders. Um, Were there other teams that were interested uh, in signing you, or did you have interest in maybe signing somewhere else? Yeah, so after the game, I – I was really down, and I checked my phone, and I had a couple texts from my agent and a couple texts from random numbers that I had never seen before. One of them was a guy from Anaheim, uh, from Dallas, and from uh, the Islanders. And uh, I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I forgot that you know, now my pro career could start. And so I was right away feeling better and excited a little bit. And um, Islanders had come to visit me a couple times and watch me, and I talked to the guy, and I was – um, I was shooting with Steve Valiquet in okay. the summertime, like for his goalie school, and uh, he'd been talking me up for them as well, and like talking to me about them, saying that you know, like, I feel like you could run the power play on Bridgeport and with your shot and this and that. So I was like, wow, this is this is cool. And my uh, ex girlfriend, she was actually from Long Island. Okay. And her her dad was a big Islanders fan, so I was like, "Oh, that would be cool too." And yeah. so every 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 road led to there. You know, Anaheim was on the other side of the country, Dallas yeah. was on the other side of the country. And, uh, Islanders were like, "Hey, we're in the we're in the playoffs with Pittsburgh. If you want to come watch a game, you can sit at the the, the Black Aces." And I was like, "Wow, how cool would that be?" So I did that. Yeah. And so they kind of sold me on the, you know, on my chance there to go there, and I ended up signing with them. Uh, well, with their system, with Bridgeport. Yeah. And uh, yeah. That's so I went there. So that was a two-way deal, right? Bridgeport and Stockton. Uh, it was a one-way deal. Oh. one-way AHL deal. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah. um, you played in all sorts of leagues, but now you're and you played in college. 
And now in the 2013-14, you go into training camp. So did you go to training camp with the Islanders? I, I mean, you must have because you played uh, at least one exhibition game. Yeah, I did. I actually spent the whole summer there. I was. Uh, I talked to them. I said, you know, I I want to train here. I want to get I want to like get used to this level. And so I was I was at that hotel next to the Coliseum, the Marriott, the, Long Island Marriott, Marriott for mm-hmm. for like two and a half months, just training there with their strength coach and uh, with a couple other guys who were there, but. I was there for the majority of the time, and uh, then the camp started, and yeah, I was there. I was there for that for that too. So I'm going to throw out some names because uh, if you're in training camp with the big club, uh, for someone like yourself, where the physical part of hockey is part of your game, so you were in camp with guys like Matt Karkner, Eric Bolton, Matt Martin, Travis Hamanick. Those are the Islander on the Islander side, on the Bridgeport side. You had Brett Gallant, Justin Johnson. Scotty Mayfield, uh, Joe Finley, Andre Padon. Uh, you remember being in camp with those guys? Uh, anything ever happened? Uh, sort of try to uh, make a name for yourself and stand out? Yeah, I, really, I definitely remember that because I, I kind of feel like looking back on it, that's where I, that's where I shot myself in the foot. Um, I was thinking, you know what, I got to make up. I don't know what I was thinking, but I, I sort of, and I, I got to make up for those four years of not fighting and, and show that I can still do it. And mm-hmm. um, my, I think one of the very first practices, there's a guy called Chris Bruton. Yeah. He, uh, he, he and I fought in mm-hmm. practice uh, after uh, like a battle in the corner. Mm-hmm. Just fought, and uh, I, I did good in that one. And everyone was kind of talking about it, like, why would why would he fight? Like, but it wasn't just me. You know, we both decided to fight. Yeah. Just to show like we can fight. Yeah, and, um, it was my first fight in four years, so mm-hmm. I was like, "Okay, this, I can still do it." Um, then I was practicing with like the main squad after some of the other guys got sent out, sent away, and I remember we had to do a bag skate at the end, and uh, I wanted to win. You know, I wanted to be first to impress. And when I we were doing goal line to goal line, and I remember specifically uh, skating next to Padon, mm-hmm. who's also big guy and he was stopping a little bit short of the goal line and I told him like hey if you want to beat me in the race beat me fairly but don't cheat me because I want to show up or I want to be in first and, yeah. and he looked at me like what the hell is wrong with this guy you know? <laughs> and then the whistle went again and I, he stopped short of the red line again Yeah. and I said I said, hey I told you already and he said hey shut up you know? mm-hmm. so I was really like fuming on the inside I was like man I want to come in first I want to show these guys I'm in good shape yeah uh, trying too hard I guess to to impress and after the practice was over we had we were stretching on the center circle and he was looking at me kind of talking to one of the other guys on the team like uh, this guy you know, he's trying so hard he thinks he's going to make it out of this camp and I said are you, are you talking shit about me from mm-hmm. the other side of the circle and you know like the real guys but like Traveris was on the ice and stuff all those guys and I was and they're like, hey, calm down. I said, I'm not going to fucking calm down. I said, who is this guy talking about? And, yeah. he, and he just laughed at me, and I took off my helmet and gloves, and I said, hey, are you going to laugh at me? I'll fight you. Yeah. He got up and fought right then and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and afterwards, the coach came up to me, and he was like, what was that all about? Yeah. And I explained myself. I said, you know, he was cheating on the skate, and I wanted to come in first. And, I, I, and, I, and looking at, back on it now, it, he must have been like, God, this kid's not right in the head. <laughs> He's not so. Yeah. Looking back on that, I was, uh, you know, I and I got my 
my talk after that after that camp was over. I got an exhibition game yep. against New Jersey. I, I fought in that as well. Um, totally forced it. it. wasn't supposed to like happen. I really wanted to fight someone, and um, Gallant was fighting Barch. I, mm-hmm. I guess yeah. Three times that game, he said like, oh, "That's my guy." So I was asking both of them because he played for New Jersey. I was like, "Who can I fight?" Yeah. And he said, "Oh, try Carter. He might go." Yeah. And he Carter didn't want it, but I was like slashing him, slashing him. Finally, he went me. And uh, you know, after the camp, they were like, "We were really impressed with your work ethic all summer. You did really well." But for now, like, we're gonna we're gonna send you down to work with the farm team. And I was like, "All right, no problem." Because I, I know Bridgeport; it's twenty minutes from uh, like Quinnipiac. Yeah. I know a bunch of people there. I'd already gotten my apartment there. I'd already signed the thing, my apartment contract, and everything. Mm-hmm. When the uh, when I was, I was like, all right, cool, thanks, guys, and I walked out, and all the guys are so how'd you meet him? I said, yeah, good. They're like, where's your letter? I said, what letter? And they're like, oh, we all got a letter saying we could go look for housing. Oh. I was like, oh, I must I must have forgot it. You know, I was so naive, and I walked back in, and they had already started another meeting. I was like, oh, just a second, guys. I was like, hey, I forgot my letter. And they're like, no, you're not getting a letter, and uh, you're gonna start the coast. And oh. I was like, what? What is the coast? Yeah. I had no clue. I really didn't know what the coast was. And, yeah. uh, so here I am thinking I'm going to crack the lineup straight out of camp for the New York Islanders, and then I'm getting sent down two leagues to the coast. Yeah. And I remember Justin Johnson said to me, he's like, uh, he's like, hey, make sure that you show them that you don't belong there. Just yeah. turn it into a turn it into a gong show. Just do something that just sets you apart from everyone else. Mm-hmm. I, I took that to heart. And I was like, all right, yeah, I, I don't belong. Yeah. So I. Uh, uh, I went to call, to Stockton, yeah. and I think I fought seven times in my first five games. Yeah. Uh, and after that, I don't know. I feel like looking back on it, the organization must have been like, this kid's got to screw loose, which I understand now that I'm 31 years old, and I probably wouldn't have wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have been so loud and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, at the front lines of everything when I was a newcomer, but I, that's what I did. and Yeah. You know, I keep saying no regrets, but that's definitely not something that I would redo. <laughs> well, I, I think I think as we all get older, we kind of look back on different things and uh, say, oh, if I could change that up, I'd do it different. But I think that's who we are at that time. And, you know, like you talk about the, uh, you know, the bag skate and everything with the Padan. And, yeah, maybe now it seems silly, but you're here you are now. You, you're, you're pro contract. You want to impress people. And. In your mindset at the time, that was your way to do it. Show them your work ethic. So maybe now it seems a little goofy, but at the time, I mean, I, I don't know you. You seem like a pretty bright guy. So at the time, it doesn't sound like you're going to do anything irrational. In your head, it sound, you know you probably figured this is a way for me to get noticed. Then, you know, what, uh, seven, eight years later, maybe it seems a little goofy. But, you know, I think we'd all change some things around from our past, no? Yeah, hundred percent. If you talked to me ten years ago, you'd you'd have a completely different interview. I'd be telling you every single detail about the blood squirting out of people's faces after punching them. You know, I loved it. Yeah. Now it, it change. Yeah. So, I just want to go back to that exhibition game in New Jersey because um, we talk. You know, one of the things that that I was really interested in speaking to you about was was your journey. You know, from the Netherlands. Now you're you know, and you played. You know, like you say, you played big time college hockey. But now you're actually skating in an NHL rink. Uh, do you do you remember that feeling when you you coming out for the warm ups at uh, Prudential Center in New Jersey? Like just 
like what was going through your mind that you're actually skating with an NHL uniform on in an NHL arena? Uh, it, it's so funny because uh, I had a lot of things going through my mind. I was thinking because I was getting constant phone calls from Dutch media uh, all the time about wanting interviews and stuff, and I was like, I haven't even made it yet. Yeah. They're already all over me. And my dad was like, you know, this is the this is the start, buddy. Like this is, you know, you got to get used to this and stuff. So I'm like pumping myself up i remember the night before the game the, the lineup came out and i was allowed to play yeah and i was so pumped and i ended up uh asking my roommate greg miller at the time to set a bunch of alarms on his phone too because i didn't want to oversleep and <laughs> have any chance of destroying my chance yeah uh, i didn't i, I hardly slept because i was so excited and uh, i kept checking my phone to make sure i wasn't late i remember getting to the rink and uh, i grew up with josh bailey oh okay uh, yeah, he, he uh, and my dad, his dad and my dad were buddies, and we grew up in summer hockey all the time. And he told he told me, dude, it's just another game, just play and have fun. You know? And mm-hmm. I kind of tried to take that as much as I could, but at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to. Things that were going through my mind were nuts. I was like, okay, my running warm up. I was really careful not to twist an ankle or something because <laughs> I didn't want to screw any chance. I was like, I want to, re- I want to walk careful. I want to not trip on anything. I was overly cautious just because I all I wanted was to be able to step foot on the ice in the Credential Center, like while the clock was ticking in a real NHL game with a real NHL jersey on. And I was like, if that could happen, like that's my the start of something. And uh, so I guess that's what was going through my mind. We were playing against Martin Brodeur, who's obviously one of, if not one of the biggest legends in in NHL for goalies. And I was like, wow, what if I could register a shot on Martin Brodeur? That would be cool. (laughs) So I was just thinking like the smallest, smallest details. You know, I wasn't even worried about anything except for just like trying to put up some type of statistics that will be remembered by me. And the very, very first shift, I uh, I hit Ryan Klo so mm-hmm. hard that he was done for the rest of the game. Wow! And uh, I was like, oh my god, what did I just do? You know, like, ha, oh, this sucks. And I was think, and I was thinking, those guys are going to come fight me out, but no one did. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was the first shift, big hit, and I was like, wow, I feel good. And I just played my game after that. I don't remember the score though. I don't remember what happened. I don't remember the score either. <laughs> I just remember the fights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was trying to force a fight out. Barch and Gidland yeah. fought three times that game. Yeah, each other, and uh, I was just waiting my turn. But it wasn't as exciting as those fights. They were toe to toe every single time, bloodied up, and then I just was like, "Dang, I gotta, I gotta get one in too." But it was fast. It yeah, was a quick fight. Yeah, he no. definitely didn't feel like fighting. And I, when I switched to left, I think he was like. "Oh, this, he can throw left too. I'm not about to hang in this." He just, he just like went down but not from a punch he just went down because he was done yeah well you brought up uh you know going lefty so um where when did you actually start uh you know you're naturally right-handed and you go lefty uh how did you uh was that just through trial and error when you actually going through your career and fighting or is it something you actually uh trained for you know all fights training uh whether it's uh you know boxing gym or whatever it is uh so how did you actually uh come to have your fighting style I think it was just kind of just happened. I never, yeah. I, I trained, I lived, I spent my summers in Thailand for four years and I, I did a lot of Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu yeah. there, but not specifically to train for hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was home for my mom's 
uh, health issues for a couple of months. I trained there, but just to get my aggression out and not yeah. again not specifically for hockey. Yeah. But my mentality was always just like throw as many punches as I can before getting punched too many times. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Smart. And, uh, if my right hand's tied up, I'm just gonna do the same thing with my left one. And if I make damage with that, good. And if not, at least I'm throwing still. So, I, for me, a lot of the times it was also like. I, I've never been an angry kid, so yeah. I, I enjoyed when people got excited when the bench would clap their sticks or when the fans would wear my jerseys. Or, you know, so I I, I, I like to throw, even though none of sometimes they were pointless punches, but just make it look good for the people. Mm-hmm. It was my thing too for a while. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, whether whether people like it or not, uh, you know, people love fighting. And, uh, you know, the, it's part of the game. I mean, not so much anymore, but back then especially. And, uh, you know, in the leagues that you played in, the American League and the East Coast League, that's a big part of the game. So uh, it, it's definitely entertainment value. And, and uh, you know, as I've, I've said it, I'm, I'm not the only one who said it, but uh, fight's the only time where everybody in the arena is standing up. When, when your team scores, their fans are standing up. When the other team scores, their fans are standing up. And when there's a fight, yeah. everybody's standing up. So, so yeah, that's true. You know, yeah, there's certain entertainment value to it. So, and uh, you know, people, uh, people judge a fight. You know, everyone judges a fight differently. And uh, but, but activity, it's better to be active than inactive. Uh, you're inactive. You got a better chance of getting hit. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> So uh, when you went down to Stockton, obviously you were disappointed, but I got to ask you about the coach who was a former Islander, Rich Crom. Uh, how'd you like playing for Richie? A super nice guy. Yeah. Really, really good guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's all I can say about him. Uh, yep. I, he he kind of left forwards and he, he just ran yeah. his practices, but uh, just super nice and always kind of a calm guy in the locker room. And he was there for everyone, hockey or not hockey. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Justin Johnson. Oh, I like playing for Rich. Okay, yeah, there was a little bit of thing with the audio here, so I didn't mean to step on you there. Sorry about that. Um, Justin Johnson, he told you to make yourself known, uh, do something to make yourself known that you're too good to be down there. And your first game, October 19, 2013, you had a Gordie Howe hat trick. You remember that game? Yeah, well, he what he said was <laughs> – let them know that you don't belong there. Okay, so, right. Like, whether yeah. it would be he, he he told and he one of his examples was that he went to like in between uh, TV timeout he would he went to the other team's bench and third drinking their water bottles and throwing them on the ice <laughs> and no one did a thing mm-hmm. and I was like holy like okay mm-hmm. I don't know about that but mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll try and do something mm-hmm. so yeah but my first game I did have a Brody Howe hat trick it was. Uh, it was the fight first, and then the assists, and then the goals. So uh, the third goal, you know, I did the Gordy with the elbow up in the air, and I don't know if everybody everybody uh, got it, but right. uh, the announcer the announcer got it, and he mentioned it in in the game uh, highlights. So that was cool, and it was a nice celebration. And when I uh, when I did get called back up to Bridgeport, I was still in this mentality of like I, I shouldn't be there, blah blah blah, and I was showing guys this video, and like I, I was posting this video on Facebook, I think. Yeah, <laughs> like oh look at me, like fair. And, and I remember Bruton. He was like, "Man, you gotta, you gotta pipe down. You can't be doing this kind of stuff." Yeah, I was like, "Why?" Like, you know, it's cool. So he just said, "That's my advice to you," and I, I didn't take it at the time. And mm-hmm. <sighs> like I said, yeah, I was, I was different then. But yeah, uh, yeah, that was a good first game, and I, I had some swagger, and I think I had 
I think I had seven games in my, or seven fight or seven points in my first five games and five fights or something like that. It's a way to make an impression. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But <laughs> they were calling guys up from different leagues or from different teams that weren't even affiliated, and I was like, "What the heck? This doesn't make any sense." No. And uh, yeah. Well, I just don't think I made a very good first impression there, and like it, that's obviously the main one. And yeah. But if someone doesn't like you, you're in the doghouse. It's real tough to get out of that. Oh, definitely. It's almost like you, if if you're in someone's doghouse, you almost have to wait for uh, for that person to get fired or uh, to they bring in a new coach or a new GM, and you have a clean slate. It, it's really it, sports are very unforgiving that way once you're in someone's doghouse. You you nailed it. That's yeah. exactly what I was. Uh, that's what exactly what I needed, but it yeah. didn't happen, and I got traded that year. To uh, I asked, I eventually I just asked for trade. Well, before you asked for a trade, you did get called up. You played four games in Bridgeport. Um, yeah. I saw you had two fights. They're both on YouTube, uh, Mike Hoffel and uh, Cody Bass. Cody Bass, very tough guy. Uh, you had yep. two fights with them, um, 12 penalty minutes. Did they play you? Did you get to play at all up there, or were you pretty much just put out there in situations where it might get physical? I didn't play much, and yeah. uh, when I did, I was like, you know, this should be my job. So I was forcing it. The, the fight against Hoffel was super bad. Mm. Like, I think we fell right away. And yeah. then the fight against Bass, uh, it was okay up yeah. until at the end, he ended up pulling my pants up. And I, like, pulling the from the bottom of my pants, pulling up. Mm. So I fell and I smashed my head on the ice. I had a huge gash in my head. I had to get, like, 15 stitches. And um, I was concussed and I was out for like two months. It was a bad one. It's yeah. probably the worst one I've ever had. And uh, so after that, they were like, okay, we're going to give you two more chances. And after that, it was it was done with me and the Islanders. Mm-hmm. They, I, I, I screwed up for myself, really. Oh. Um, when you went back down to um, Stockton, I just want to ask you about one guy that you uh, fought twice because he had, he did play some games for Bridgeport as well, and he's a he's a big dude. Uh, do you remember fighting Riley Emerson? Yeah, yeah, I do. The first time, uh, the first time he jumped me. Okay. And um, I didn't see it coming. And after that, he's like, "Sorry, man. Like my coach made me, and like." Because I was a rat in the in the coast, I was really a, I made a fool out of that out of that league, mm-hmm. and uh, over the top, kind of like what I was in my mind, you know, what what JJ said. He was like, I was thinking, I got to take that to a next level too, and so I was trying to do that, and it's not very respectful, obviously. So a lot of coaches were like, put this guy in his place, and the next time we played against, uh, he was playing for Ontario, if I remember right. Yeah, he. Uh, like hey if you want it like you know i owe you a fight so because the, the last time it wasn't really cool so um and i was like yeah yeah later and they said all right and as soon as he said all right i turn around and drop my gloves <laughs> and kind of, kind of jumped in yeah and uh, uh and so then after we were down there he's like fair enough now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good i mean listen it's uh you know, he had to be expecting it too. I mean, it was cool that he was a gentleman about it, but also he had to have it in the back of his mind. He knew what he did last time, so he'd be foolish to maybe not expect you to turn it around like that. Uh, I've actually never, never really played against anyone in North America who was a who was a fighter, but also like a, a bad person. Yeah, like a, you know, someone that mm-hmm. you wouldn't want to go get a beer with afterwards. Like everyone. Especially the guys who I'd fight were ended up, you know, after the 
after time passed the good guys and somehow you get in touch with these guys again and uh just guys that you'd love to have on your team or that you'd like to have a beer with you after the game even though yeah. on the ice you you have some issues with each other but they're not really issues with each other because technically we're not technically but most of the time you're sticking up for someone else you know yeah um, as a fighter yeah for sure i mean I, i'm 49 years old i've been uh i've been in in the not in the game but around the game you know since i'm uh, 15 years old when we moved to long island and i say i grew up at the coliseum and i've made a lot of friends through the game and they're all guys who were tough and and tough guys and everything and uh, i can count on maybe two fingers uh the guys that i've met that were complete assholes and i've met hundreds of guys and everybody yeah. with the exception of maybe two or three guys were, were just super and you know many of them are are some of my closest friends today so uh so you're 100 percent right you know the the guys who play tough are generally you know the best guys in in the league and probably in sports to be honest with you there's absolutely no egos there yeah yeah i find the same now you you were traded to i i this i didn't understand this traded by the san antonio rampage and you were assigned to cincinnati how did what is san antonio fit in all of this so that was crazy well so uh i had an agent at the time and i called him i said look all these guys are going to call it to bridgeport i think i shot myself in the foot there it's over for me there um i want to go somewhere where i can play and then he's like you know what uh, the GM from San Antonio asked me, not like not too long ago, why isn't this guy getting called up? He's got points, he's got fights, he's got everything that we're looking for. Uh, would you want to get traded to Florida system and then go play in San Antonio? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. I just want to play in the AHL mm. and get a chance to move up to the NHL somehow. So he's like, okay, let me get that going for you. So then uh, I got the, the trade was official and... Um, as I was leaving Stockton, uh, they're like, yeah, you're not going to fly to San Antonio because they're on the road in Canada right now. They're playing against Toronto and Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's like a rodeo going on in their rink or something. So I wasn't even able to skate. And he said, what you're going to do is you're going to go down to the affiliation team in Cincinnati for uh, the weekend. Just They have two home games. So you're going to play there for two home games. And on, on a Monday when San Antonio flies back, you'll meet them in San Antonio. I said, perfect, fine. Mm -hmm. So I just thought quickly over to San Antonio or to Cincinnati um, for for the weekend, and I guess San Antonio got smashed, like embarrassed that weekend, and they fired their whole front staff, oh, God. including the guy that won, including the guy that wanted me. Mm -hmm. And my agent called me on Monday. He was like, I have some bad news. The guys got fired, and they're gonna finish out the rest of the season with like some Florida guys who are just gonna run that organization. And so my buddy who wanted you, he's gone. Oh. And I had no more pull on that organization. So unfortunately, like, you're stuck in Cincy. Oh, fuck. So I was like, oh, my God. Uh. What a turn for the worst that is. You know, <laughs> like, just all my hopes were so high, and then uh, they just got crashed right down. So, all right, uh. whatever. Like, keep grinding. And stayed in Cincy for the rest of the year. It was an awesome time there. Mm -hmm. really enjoyed it. Yeah, you went to the uh, you went a huge playoff run. You went to the Kelly Cup and you played Alaska, correct? Yeah, well, I didn't. I got right. I tore my uh, MCL half like in the second round, so I was oh. out. Okay, but uh, I mean, yeah, the team did. Mm. So it was it was real tough to watch them in the finals, especially because I knew I could help them. And, yeah, you know, the games were so tight, and I was like, 
and I just want to be out there helping, but couldn't. And I traveled with the team to every game mm-hmm. with my knee uh, in one of those really big straight braces and crutches and everything. We fly. Man, that was a hike, Alaska, Cincy, Alaska. Yeah, Cincy, yeah. Like two home, two away, and I think it went like you know. And then we had to go there again, and then they came back to us, and just like we had so much flying. <laughs> it was it's, long trips. It's better than especially when you're not planned. It's better than taking the bus to the furthest place you could take it before you have to get on a plane to Alaska. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so the the next season, how did you end up with the Dallas organization? So I was actually uh, at the Dallas Stars development camp my sophomore year mm. um, in college, and uh, I did really well there. They actually uh, talked about signing me to a two-way NHL-AHL deal, and me and uh, Dylan, what's his first name, the defense, big defenseman, uh, I don't know. last name Dylan played, and I think now he plays for uh, Vancouver. But anyway, yeah. Brendan Dylan. Brendan, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Him and I were D partners in this camp, and they were like, you know, we like you got you guys together, and mm-hmm. what would you think about this and that? And I said, fuck, I got two more years of college left. And mm-hmm. my coach said, you know, you're not ready for pro yet. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. So I was like, I'm going to wait it out. And it wasn't an offer, but they talked about, because I did really well in that camp. I ended up, we did a hardest shot competition, and I registered 107 miles an hour. Wow. And um, I remember Gary Roberts. He, I was I trained like I trained my bag off for that camp mm-hmm. uh, all summer, think, thinking like even more thinking that I could make the team out of a development camp, not knowing <laughs> what it's actually like. Yeah. And so I went there in super shape, and I was extremely strong and everything. And I remember Gary Roberts came up to me personally because I was just destroying everyone in the fitness testing, and he asked me like, "Hey, like." Uh, you know, do you, what do you, how did you get so strong? What do you do? And kind, I, I don't want to say that he was insinuating that I did some illegal substances, but he was really questioning, like, how did you get so strong? So, you know, like, like this. And I said, I just trained really hard. Yeah. And he was super supportive of me. He's like, you know, you're a hard worker. I'd like to help you out. And he, he, uh, he came up to me after that shot and he was like, man, this is going to make some noise. 107 miles an hour. This, you know, Neuendijk, Joe Neuendijk was like, wow, who's this kid? And I was telling him all about you. And, so, uh, and I remember specifically that camp too. Joe Newendike asked me after the third day, "Hey, I want you, I want you, Dalhusen, to say uh, as many names as you can." And I remember getting everyone's name mm-hmm. except for one guy. I knew everyone's name like just from listening and stuff. So nice. I don't know what kind of test that was. But yeah. I was like, well, <laughs> this must be something that some type of mind games that they're playing with me. But they were really impressed. Then they offered me that. And so after my year in um, in Cincy, I told my agent you know i want to go back to the ahl and i, I had uh left there with really good reputation and they wanted to give me a second chance and i went to uh, texas on a one-way ahl deal right i think that dylan is actually in florida now uh i remember okay. yeah because i think they uh they played the islanders in the first round this year and um i don't watch much hockey outside of the islanders so these guys that are in different places unless it's like Ryan Reeves or a guy like that, I don't really focus too much. And I remember seeing this guy run around a little bit, and I thought he needed someone to grab him and teach him some manners. But uh, uh, but I think it's the same guy. I, I think it is. So, uh, so yeah, I know okay. he plays a physical game. So you guys must have uh, must have been fun watching you guys there. So uh, so you signed with the, with Texas, but you start the year in Idaho, correct? Uh, Where did you start the year in Texas? 
Well, you, oh, let me stop for a second. You played some. You played at least one preseason game with Texas because uh, I saw that you had a fight with somebody named Cal Kessie. Yeah, yeah, I, I did that too. That was another thing I was forcing so hard. You know, I was I really wanted to show that I could fight, and he was saying off the face off. I specifically remember that. No, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. Yeah. Then when the puck dropped, I skated away, and he dropped him, and it was a terrible fight. Yeah. Um, now I think I played there. A little, a little bit, but my job there was embarrassing. I was, uh, I was warming up every game, yeah. and just skating across the red line, just chirping, and you know, and then I would get scratched after <sighs> warm up. Mm-hmm. And I, I looked at their roster, and Texas didn't seem to have a lot of toughness on the team at all. No, no, it was pretty much me and that. But I never got a chance to play. Like, uh, it was a tough situation for me. I was working so hard. <clears throat> to the point where guys kind of felt bad. I remember I scored my first goal there against uh, Rapid City, and I fought. And the next game, I was healthy scratch. And I, I remember I got the game, like the captain at the, the captain there. He gave mm-hmm. me the game player, the game puck, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, as that guy, you have to give it the next game to the to the other guy. And I didn't get to play the next game after being player of the game for the team. You know, and I was like, oh, this is so tough. But I know that. A lot of those things are kind of out of their control, and you know the the, the office up top with Dallas kind of decides the lineups there. Unless there's injuries or sick guys, I I kind of just have to wait for my chance. And uh, yeah, I only got to play I think eight games or something. I was going to ask you about uh, that goal, uh, your first AHL goal, uh, November fifteenth, twenty fourteen. Do you remember the goal? Oh yeah, yeah, I remember the goal. Tell it's, me about uh, it. It was an offensive zone face-off, and uh, Scott Glennie won it back. And he just he said, "If you get it, shoot it." And the puck was rolling, and I shot it, and it, and it went in. That's it. Nothing special. <laughs> it's like uh, it's just like a knuckler. And um, yeah, the coach said you, uh, the coach told me afterwards he was like, "You always shoot a rolling puck." So I forget who said that, but one player is like one of a like a famous quote by one of the NHLers, always shoot a rolling puck because you don't know where it's going and neither does the goalie. Yep. Um, so you played for Derek Laxdahl there. He's a former Islander. Um, and like you say, it wasn't a great experience in Texas, uh, but you don't hold him responsible. You think it came more from uh, Dallas? I don't know who's yeah. responsible. All I know is at that point I did my very best. I learned kind of my lesson from uh, from how I should act and how I shouldn't act because of how I was in Bridgeport. Yeah, and I I, I got along really well with everybody on the team. Um, there were a couple like there were a couple pretty greasy things that happened in my eyes that I think weren't really called for. Like uh, we had the rookie party and. Uh, I was I'd never really done a rookie party because I was always bouncing around between Bridgeport and Stockton, mm-hmm. and um, I missed the rookie party there, and then I missed the rookie party in in Stockton. So they when they found out, they're like, okay, well we're gonna do you then like include you in the rookie party, and I was the guys were really excited to have me, and each team got to have one rookie like they divide it up and dress funny, and you had to do whatever like a couple obstacles that night mm-hmm. while going out, and everything was set and the night before the rookie party I got sent down to Idaho even though they didn't have a game Jeez. and I was like just just let me go the next day like you know I want to I want to do this it's so fun and I've been here for months and, mm-hmm. and the guys were all pumped up for it and obviously it was going to be a really really fun night yeah 
And uh, I got sent home that night, like the <sighs> night before, flat, flat, or not home, but to Idaho. Yeah. Uh, don't even play. Rookie party's over. And I and then I get called right back up two days later. So I basically <sighs> got sent away without having the party. And I'm like, ah, is this, I don't know if this is coincidence or why did they do this, but this is the kind of stuff that I was like, I'm not going to say anything about yeah. it because I, prob- I probably would have if I, right. I was a little bit younger, but I'm just going to battle through and... They also knew that I took things literally like uh, a specific moment. I remember Carl Taylor was the assistant coach. He called me into the office and said something to me. Uh, and uh, afterwards, like five minutes later, he pulled me into the office again. And he's like, I just want to clarify that I mean this, like, not literally that. And I'm like, yeah, I know. He's like, okay, okay. <laughs> just so you just think. So I'm th- I'm all, I was also looking back on it. They must have also – because I would – I took my job as like a – I don't know, in, intimidator or something yeah. quite quite literal, and I would I would just be standing on the red line, knowing I'm not going to play, but still cussing guys out, mm-hmm. down, like slashing them if they came close enough to the red line. And I was, you know, it was embarrassing looking back on it because they'd be like, "You're not even going to play." What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, well, "At least I'm doing something." Yeah. <laughs> I'm just standing here, yeah. I'm just standing here and dangling with a puck, which is something I could do every day. At least oh. I got, I'm doing something. Yeah. So. They must have also been like this, you know, he's a nice guy, he's a hard worker, but a little bit nuts. That's fucking brutal to hear. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Ah, It's okay. It's my own thing, but I must have warmed up 30 games. Unbelievable. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't fun. Well, when you ended up in uh, Idaho, there's a couple of of fights I want to ask you about. I think it was one of your first fights with Idaho. Uh, you fought a guy who played a few games for the Islanders here, Daryl Bootland, who I think was a Colorado at the time. Do you remember that one? Uh, yeah, I do. It was in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, just a fight for no reason because yeah. he was tough. Right? Yeah. He, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and, and then uh, you had two fights against a guy who played uh, a few games in Bridgeport, and that was Mario LaRock. Uh, do you remember uh, either one or both of those fights? Um, yeah, I do. I think one of them was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right, it was in the corner after, uh, after a shot we fought and, uh, I was punching him and I remember he said like, Hey, look at your finger. And my left, my left middle finger was completely sh- sh- like to the side. Oh shit. And I was like, Oh, I was like, <laughs> Oh, oh thank And he just like, stop, stop, stop. And it, it was over after that. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh no, that was another one. Sorry. That, I, I had a fucked up finger and he asked me why I didn't drop my left glove. Yeah. And I showed uh, he's after the fight and I showed him like, oh, it's broken. I had mm-hmm. a broken finger because the fight before that it was all oh, okay. to the left. So then he was like, oh, you didn't have to fight me. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. I, that, that was the one. I don't okay. remember the second one against him. Okay. Um, so, uh, I mean, my the next logical question, but I think I have the answer is uh, – that was it for you in North America. Uh, the next season, you end up in Denmark. Uh, was that a tough decision to make? Um, you know, sort of. You know, I guess you had been bit in North America for a couple of seasons, and did you come to the realization that maybe it just wasn't for you? It wasn't in the cards to for you to be an AHL regular or potentially go to the NHL. Um. Well, to be honest, I just was getting tired of fighting. I. Uh... In my mind, I was thinking, you know, every time I fight, I hear. At first, I was like, I love the fact that fans love me and everything. But coming home and not being able to sleep on the right side of my head because it's full of bumps and mm-hmm. like waking up and I can't open my hands, so I have to like 
put it in warm water first, leave it out of functioning hand. I'm thinking, man, I'm making pennies on the dollar here and I'm, yeah. I'm destroying my body. What am I doing? Like if I'm making a million bucks in the NHL, okay, I don't mind that, but mm-hmm. for a couple of years, but at the cost of, at the cost of my head, like the thing with, with fighting is you win and you lose at the same time. You win a fight, you, you, you hurt, your hand hurts. And if you lose a fight, your head hurts. So yep. it's like, Unless you're getting big money, I don't think it's really. Uh, it wasn't really for me anymore, and I I had a few concussions, and the coast, you know, the, if you have the name like I had, the uh, the young guys coming in are trying to establish a name for themselves too, and they challenge you, and I I was once that kid, so I don't want to turn them down, and then you fight some other guy for absolutely no reason except to try to help his career out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I actually love playing hockey, and I know I can play rather than like unlike some guys who are uh, just big meat sticks who are waiting just to fight. So I wanted to try and actually play, and I moved back to uh, Europe. But it was kind of scary because I hadn't been in Europe for whew, 13, 14 years. Yeah. So I was super uh, Americanized, I guess you could say. Yeah. So uh, you go back to Europe. How did you end up in Denmark? Well, I told my agent I wanted to go to Europe, and uh, that was one of the offers I had. I didn't have super numbers. Um, obviously, as an import, you have to – well, I didn't have bad numbers, but as an import, to get into a high league, you have to have special numbers. I didn't, so Denmark was kind of a stepping stone league for me to try and get to my – what was my, my goal at the time was to play in the in the Dell. The, well, German league? Yeah. Um I just heard a weird sound. Oh. Maybe my headphones are dying. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay, we're good. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, want me to start again? Yeah, start. You know, just uh, pretend I asked you the question and then go now. Okay. So yeah. I uh, asked my agent I wanted to go back to Europe and not having the greatest numbers, I had to go. I had pretty good numbers, but not super numbers. And I had to go to uh, Denmark, which was in my eyes at the time, a stepping stone league to get to the Dell in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a good year there. and uh, Well, it's, uh, one funny thing, actually, that kind of comes a full circle, which is also something for your podcast. My dad, when he's like, so where Denmark? And I said, yeah. He's like, oh, where? And I said, uh, Esbjerg. And he said, no way. <laughs> he's like, I'm banned from that city. And I said, <laughs> He's like, I don't think I'm allowed to show my face there again. I said, why not? And he said, uh, well, you can Google it. And I, and I, Nijmegen, in my hometown team, uh, 1993 or 1994, sometime like that, went there for an exhibition game. And like three or four fan buses from uh, my dad's uh, hooligan days followed. <laughs> and they just turned that entire town upside down. There was massive brawls at the stadium on the ice and in the stands and everyone got arrested and he said like a bunch of guys got went to jail that that night and uh he uh when i told him about that town yeah um, he's like oh my god i don't know if i can come back there very first day i get to that town they're like yeah you're from nijmegen i said yeah and he's, they're like oh my god people are still talking about that fight and, <laughs> I said, yeah, my dad was there. He's like, no way. So when my dad visited, uh, the newspaper actually came and like did an interview and asked my dad about those days and about whether he still feels animosity towards those guys. And he's like, of course not. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 30 years ago, but it was 
It was so funny that like that was the very first thing that it reminded him of, and all the people, all the fans were like, "Oh my God, we're getting a guy from the town of the most hated town in Holland." <laughs> oh my, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, no, and uh, so then I was there because of uh, it was my first offer, and I really, I thought it was a good one, so I went there. So you had said that you really didn't want to fight too much, and I'm sure you didn't fight too much. The only fight I could find on YouTube was against someone named Anthony Aquino. Uh, but you did still manage to rack up 150 penalty minutes that uh, led your team. Yeah, and uh, I didn't want to fight. That was one of the things I specifically said when I when they wanted me. I said, I, I will come, but I would love to play, and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And, um, but in Denmark, if you get, like, uh, like the, it's, it's the refereeing there, it's pretty different than mm-hmm. North America you get it from behind and it's automatically 25 minutes wow or if you do, if you do get in a fight it's 25 minutes oh, so it's super okay. easy to rack up penalty points there okay um one of the fights one of the 25 minutes was like a literally a, a nothing scrum in the coast where it's like you just grab someone the guy's helmet came off and and we both fell we both got five and 20 for fighting oh, shit and we, and we both looked at him. We're, we're like, "What? No! Huh. Like, let us. What do you mean? We didn't fight." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Yeah, but you probably will if you get to stay in the game." And we try and avoid that. <laughs> so I got tons of penalty minutes for like four. A hundred of those, one hundred and fifty were for one of them was for a fight. Mm-hmm. Two of them were for like hits from behind, and one of them was for that other stupid thing I just told you about. Oh so my god! The year after when I wanted to go to the Dell. Funny enough, they they were choosing between me and uh, and Mike Keenan, one of the guys that you asked me about earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, they told me, you know, your penalty minutes are. Uh, well, they told my agent, your penalty minute, his penalty minutes are a bit high, so we're gonna go for Keenan. And I was like, man, you could have told him that a hundred of those were for <laughs> for scraps, and that's how the Danish league works. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's um, that fight against Aquino was was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one player, there was only one player in the league that had more penalty minutes than you that year, and that's a player named Dale Mitchell, who also led the league in scoring. Uh, did you have any run-ins with him at all? Yeah, well, I actually, the, when I told you I grew up with Josh Bailey and summer hockey and everything like that, he, he Dale Mitchell was on, on that same team, so I kind of knew him. Okay. And, uh, yeah, Dale, Dale had a lot of the penalties that I mentioned, except for, like, swearing at the ref and he yeah. he was uh, having a really tough time controlling his emotions and that's where he racked up a lot of his penalty minutes he got kicked out of lots of games for losing his cool but uh he knew me so he never fought me or never even thought about it yeah i think he was a lot smaller than you too right yeah and i don't think he's a fighter like he just yeah. he's a he, he's like a typical uh like a rat you know, yeah he loves <laughs> to just stir the pot and like uh, get in there and super nice guy but uh on the ice he loves to just stir up and but not really actually fight so uh, a good friend of mine he's uh, based out of finland he, he's done a lot of work for different hockey leagues over there so he uh he gave me some uh, some questions to ask you uh he he's pretty in tune with the stuff over there and he said that the, the hockey in denmark has come a long way and he wanted to know how you saw the hockey at the time and did you get a sense that danish hockey was on the rise uh, as early as back when you were there. Yeah, I, I thought that the organizations there, especially mine, it was run very professionally. They had a great youth program. Uh, the kids were always on the ring. They had a lot of working, uh, like a lot of things going on with their youth. Uh, a couple of 
couple times a month we had like the our guys go and coach the younger guys it was part of the contract where you had to go and show up to their practices and so they definitely do their best to try and raise the raise the kids there uh for bright futures obviously there's a quite a few successful danish players in top leagues in mm-hmm. the world nhl khl um and um uh, I mean, when we were there, it was still sort of like the imports definitely carried the mm-hmm. carried the teams. Yeah, but there was a couple couple of really good Danish players, and and generally, like the third line would be or fourth, third or fourth line would be like young Danish kids that were just practicing tons with us and getting a chance to uh, to get some to to get some ice time and games, and I like that where you know they can constantly be with at a, at a higher pace and get used to that rather than being dominant at their own level and uh i think that's definitely something that uh helps their development and, and the reason why danish hockey is uh is where it's at it's in it's just it's the holland of now i think uh, yeah. in the 90s everyone wanted to come to the netherlands to play to try to get up to the next level and now it's sort of like the Dan- denmark uh norway league to try to f- go through to the Dell or to some, you know, to Sweden or wherever it might be, but to some better leagues. Well, it's a respected as well. Yeah, well, we had a player here on the Islanders that, I don't know if he's the best Danish player ever, but we had Franz Nielsen for a while, and that guy was, yeah. he was extremely talented, and if my life depended on someone taking a penalty shot, he's the guy I'm picking, because he was almost unstoppable <laughs> on those, so uh, so that, that's really my experience with uh, with Danish hockey, is Franz Nielsen, who mm-hmm. was a super guy and uh, very talented. Yeah, yeah, I actually met him while I was there for a bit, super nice guy and very friendly. So uh, you, the the thing with the European hockey that I'm never going to understand, and I uh, a lot of this uh, I have a lot of this experience with uh, the hockey in uh, in uh, Great Britain. There's a regular season, then there's all these tournaments, then there's these different cups. And I know that you won a championship this year with with the Danish team, but I don't know if that is a regular season championship, if it's a tournament championship. What was that? That was the real deal. That was okay. Uh full-on like after the whole playoffs okay yeah, that was yeah that was my first championship actually i was in the after my career in college like i lost in the final mm-hmm. uh the next year i lost in the final in cincinnati the next year i won in denmark and the next year i lost in the final and so i was four years in a row in the finals nice very good but, uh fi- finally i won <laughs> in denmark and uh, it was it was still my favorite career highlight to this day and uh we had such an incredible team there we had a, you know like a every single player was friends there's always on every team there's always sort of clicky mm-hmm. you know there's clicks and a couple of guys that you know they're not necessarily enemies but they just you know you don't hang out with them away from the game at, at that team everyone hung out all the wives and girlfriends hung out coach was awesome like everyone was it was top-notch organization was great we weren't necessarily super skilled but we would go through walls for each other and it was a super super motivational and inspirational season for for everyone and it still i got really good friends that still play there and they said you know it's uncomparable anybody any team after that that's uncomparable to like the team we had that year that's excellent that's excellent so yeah the two seasons after that, you find yourself in Kazakhstan. So I was wondering, like you were saying, how you went to Denmark, sort of, uh, you know, a way maybe to get to the German league. 
when you go to Kazakhstan, is that sort of a way to get to the KHL? Well, I changed I changed agents when I was in Denmark because this guy that I went with uh, basically told me, you know, I can get you to the Dell and mm-hmm. keep playing the way you are. Like, I see you're like one or two years here, and then I for sure you can get you there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this is and my and this guy was telling me all this all his guys that were there. So I was like, oh, I got to take this guy. And after the season in Denmark, I had a successful season personally, and we won the championship. So I was like, I got to have a couple sniffs there, yeah. like at least a tryout. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he came back to me saying, you know, you can go to Sunner, which is a team that's in the same league as in Denmark. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I could I could have got that deal by myself. You know? Yeah, I don't need that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was like, "Yeah, well, the only other thing right now I got is like Russia, Russia mm-hmm. second. And yeah, I was like, "Ooh, that's weird." And I never even thought about that. And he said, "Yeah, well, the money is really good." And so when he told me the money, I was like, "Oh, you yeah." Know? And he's like, "But I got to tell you straight up that if things go south there with payments or nothing, I have no pull. I can do nothing. I can't really do anything with you. The only thing I know is the GM there. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that he's a good guy and that's all I can tell you. Yeah. And I was like, well, for that money, I'm willing to take a risk. So I went over there and uh, basically purely because I had nothing in the Dell, which was my main goal. And then I, and the money was so good from compared to Denmark that I wanted to go there and, uh, and give it a shot. And I also, also figured it was a really unique experience. I, love to uh to try new things and new people and all that stuff i'm pretty open-minded in that sense and what better way to go to russia well actually like you said kazakhstan it was the russian league but my team was based in kazakhstan yeah now um yuka who i referenced earlier he sent me this article that uh, was uh, written by mike danton uh, about his time in Kazakhstan, and it just—I uh, don't know if you've ever read that or heard about his, I did read it. his I did horror read it. stories. Uh, I'm hoping that your time there was a little bit different because, I mean, he his thing included everything about uh, you know a horse's leg being a, near his apartment, uh, not getting paid what he said he was supposed to get paid, uh, coaches and team officials—you have to bribe them to get ice time. Uh, all sorts of things and, and uh, you know, outside influences determining games with the officials. Uh, did you see, and you may not want to answer this, and I totally get it, but uh, was your experience there, I hope it was better than Mike Danton's? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I got to put this the right way. So um, when I signed, when I was thinking about going there, I sent this article to my agent, and he goes, well, I don't know if Mike Danton's the most trustable source. Right, mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, but you can't make this shit up. Right. And he's like, well, like I told you, I have no pull. It's up to you. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to figure it out for myself, thinking it's a bit far-fetched. Mm-hmm. Um, that my first year there, we uh, we were in first place since October 17th. We went on a 31-game uh, unbeaten streak. Wow. And the contracts there are bonus, like heavily bonus weight. So, you know, you get bonus money for winning, big okay. money for winning. Mm-hmm. and. That was, like, huge. So we were winning, and no one cared about anything else because we were winning so much, and we were constantly in first place. So mm-hmm. my first year was uh, was really good in terms of paying and mm-hmm. getting paid what I expected to get paid. But all of those other things that you mentioned, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I've I witnessed, except I didn't see a, a horse's leg. I saw <laughs> a horse head. Get out of here. Yeah, seriously. Like, and the on the on the markets in the winter time, you just have cow heads, horse heads, yeah. like skinned horse heads. Wow. I used to be uh, 
like on the, just on the street because the streets are frozen in Kazakhstan. Like, I, I, I got um, the coldest I witnessed was minus forty eight degrees Celsius. Oh my god! And the... uh, you know the streets are frozen, and so they just these markets. They just have. Uh, I, I used to be pretty active on Snapchat. I deleted it because yeah. uh, people from Kazakhstan were kind of getting offended, and they said, "You know, you're making our country look like crap." You don't have to be here, but we like you. But you don't have to be here. So, right. and I was, I, I, I kind of agreed with him. I was like, you know what, I am. Yeah. I'm actually yeah. making fun of this country because it's so different. But yeah. people love seeing it from mm-hmm. anywhere else. But like, I remember one time we got to this town, um, and there was a truck, like a, a short bed pickup truck with a horse that was hanging on some type of chain, and yeah. they were just hacking it with a, uh, uh, what's it called? An axe, chopping it to pieces with an axe. Oh my god! And I, I was Snapchatting this, and the guys were just laughing, and then on the ground was all the all the meat, like huge horse steaks and stuff, but also the heads. Yeah. And uh, so that was, it was definitely something else. I I walked into like a Seven Eleven type shop, and there was a cow head or a pig head, sorry, (laughs) sitting on the. on glass, like a uh, place where the the cheese and the meat is sold, <laughs> with just streams of blood dripping down the glass, and I was like, "Oh wow. my gosh!" Oh, wow. So I Snapchatted all of that, and yeah. they said, "You know, you're Snapchatting all of the worst things." Yeah. They're like we recognize that this stuff happens, but you don't have to. You can also show nice things, but uh, no one cares about that. Everyone thinks that this crazy is what that's what people want to see. Yeah. So I did see that. I I did uh, experience. The, the bribing and all that mm-hmm. stuff it's yeah. definitely something else Whew. yeah wow that's when because uh, I had never read that before and, and obviously I'm not too in tuned with the, the Russian stuff I mean obviously as yes, some guys had gone over there to play in the KHL like Trevor Gillies and uh, Jeremy Oblonsky uh, John Morasty like they, <laughs> they come back with some stories and everything like that but for those guys anyway it seemed like it was a, it was a pretty good experience and obviously where they're playing is a lot different than say uh, Kazakhstan and when I when uh, yeah but you gotta remember eh, that they played in the first league and I played right. in the second league right. night and day oh yeah for sure and and when, when Yuka sent me that article the blog thing from Danton I was like like, I, I believe it all happened because, like, you know that the life you live, there's something going on in all different parts of the world that is completely different. But it's still a shock to the system, even for someone like myself at 49 years old. And, and you know, I've had different experiences. But to read stuff like that is just, like, it's almost beyond understanding that it still goes on. Because I'm sure it's still going on now, even a couple of years after you left there. Man, I... I read that article again yeah. after um, I was there, yeah. and, I, and every single thing yeah. made sense. As absurd as it was to me when I first read it, yeah. as like spot on it was when I when I read it again. I the 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 thing that I found most crazy, which is something that he mentions too, is the the lying. They lie. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, you know, where are my sticks? Oh, they're they'll be here next week. And then it's like, okay. And then next week's like, hey, my sticks are here. I don't have any sticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the plane was delayed, and 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 just. And I said, hey, okay, tell me the truth. How well, one more week? And yeah. then the week after that, the guy comes up to me, and goes, hey, what flex do you want? Yeah. I'm like, why are you asking me what flex <laughs> I want? When you said my sticks are supposed to be here three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah just like double checking because we're getting you some sticks. Okay. So I wait another couple weeks and i'm like don't want to step on his toes too much i'm like hey bud like i'm literally sharing a stick with another guy <laughs> and 
uh, and he was like, he was like, yeah, yeah, the the the, the truck it's on its way right now from Astana, and he sends me, he shows me a picture of a license plate of a truck. <laughs> he's like, this is the license plate we're waiting for, and I'm like, okay. So he's like, tonight or tomorrow morning, hundred percent. All right, sure. Next morning, I get there. He goes, oh, craziest story. Truck got <laughs> truck got stuck up, and they robbed the entire truck. Your sticks are all gone. Oh my god. And I had to I had to believe that that someone robbed the stick truck like his his uh evidence was a picture of a random license plate and i'm like man i can't buy this anymore just tell me the real truth so i went to this gm and i told him all these stories he's like okay like just go to the pro shop pick out a couple sticks you like and i was using different sticks if one broke i was using bauer then i was using ccm everything they had in the pro shop i was using different flexors and it was really frustrating to just get lied to and finally i told him i'm like you lie. He's like, I know. I know. I'm a liar. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it's You're telling me that you shared a stick with someone, and the first thing I thought of was as a kid playing baseball, either in Little League or with my friends, where half the guys didn't have gloves, and you just left your glove at the position you were playing in the field, and then the guy on the other team came and used your glove. That's the first thing I thought yeah. of. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's crazy. crazy. Wow. That's that's pretty intense. Um so the following season, after your two seasons in Kazakhstan, you actually did play in Germany. Is this the um, the Dell two? The, the was it like the league below the DEL? Yeah, it's the Dell two, and I I, um, I had a chance to go to some other Russian teams again, but I was there two years. Yeah, in, in Russia, my second year, uh, because the first year was so good, but the second year was a lot crazier. I didn't get paid the money that I was supposed to, and yeah. there was all this stuff. So I was like, "I'm out of here." Yeah. And there's nothing you could have done about it. And that's also where the Netherlands, the Team Netherlands thing, stopped for me because they uh, they wanted me to come back, back and play uh, one game, mm-hmm. fly over from Kazakhstan while they still owed me money, play yeah. one game in, in Belfast, and then come back. And I said, "Can't do that." So then they were pretty upset. Said. That, and um, so I was like, you know what? It's just better for me to just end ties with the national team. There's no reason for me to play here. Like, it's just a risk for me at this point yeah. to get injured. I got you. And, uh, but then it was like my sister uh, just had a baby, and I'd been away from my from my family for since I was, well, my from my Dutch family. My sister moved back to Holland eventually, and my grandparents and everything, they still live there. So I was away from them since I was 11, and uh, my grandpa was really sick. My sister just had a baby, so I, I told uh, my agent, you know, I'd like to find the closest team to Holland mm-hmm. where I can still play at a pretty decent level. Yeah. And uh, But Nauheim was only three hours away, so oh, okay. I went there and... Uh, yeah, it was good, except uh, they have, like, pretty low import rule. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so we had five imports, four forwards and one D, and I was the defenseman. Okay. And uh, when, when we weren't producing, they had to make decisions. And uh, they were like, we had to play more forwards. So I, a couple games I got scratched, which, you know, was part of, this, part of the, how it works there. But yeah. had a really good season. Um, question from Yuka because I couldn't come up with this because I know nothing about the German leagues. Uh, he wanted to know if you were surprised at the level of the game. He said the uh, German second league has teams that can really pay well for their imports, and in recent years they've attracted players from the AHL, Finnish leagues, etc. And uh, he said to put it in perspective, ten or fifteen years ago, uh, a lot of the world considered the German second league as a beer league. So, um, so is that did you find it that way uh, when you were there? 
Oh, it's a pretty good league. It's, yeah. Um, it does get carried by its imports. Mm-hmm. That's that's true. Because mm-hmm. most, obviously, the good Germans are all in the Dell. Yeah. Uh, so it, it does get carried by the imports. But it's the same thing, kind of like what I mentioned in uh, in Denmark. You get the younger Germans who are in the third third line, the experienced Germans who are maybe just older and always played in the Dell 2, have had you know average careers who are still grinding it out there. Mm-hmm. But uh, all in all, it's... It's a pretty good league, yeah. And yeah. Amazing, amazing support. The fans, fans there are crazy. It's super, super fun to play in uh, in Germany. And then the following year, uh, you find yourself in Slovakia. So how did that happen? So that was also pretty wild. I actually had a deal in Japan. No way. I really, yeah, I really wanted to go to uh, the Asia League. I wanted to try it there, and I know the money was really good there. And it's just another really unique experience. Mm-hmm. Which is something I wanted to try again, and uh, it fell through last minute. Even though I had quite a few other offers, mm-hmm. um, which I turned down because of that. Yeah. And this team that uh, they just basically said we were sorry, like we didn't see, foresee the circumstances that we're dealing with right now. We have no excuse, but we just that's it. So I was without a team, and it was pretty late in the summer when uh, one of my really good buddies uh, who I played with in college, Alex Barron, mm-hmm. um, had signed there in Slovakia, and he, for family reasons, decided not to go there. Mm-hmm. And he told me, they asked him, do I know someone? Does he know someone who would be able to fill his spot? And he gave them my name. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I got a call from them, and the next day they offered me a contract, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to take it. It's pretty good, and it's it's also a pretty respectable league, yeah. and it's a team that just moved up from the second league of Slovakia to the first league, and they're trying to build the championship. They just built a new rink, and um, yeah, so I went there, and uh, that's how I ended up there. So you got 30 points in 40 games. When I was looking at the uh, stats, there was uh, one stat that jumped out at me that wasn't your stat. It was from one of your teammates, uh, a Finnish player, and I'm probably going to butcher his name, uh, Konsta uh, Masikamin. Uh, yeah, Konsta Messikamen. Yeah, forty-seven games, one hundred eighty-three penalty minutes. Is he the uh, the scourge of that league, or was that another thing where you get twenty twenty-five minutes if you do anything? Uh, no, but he uh, he kind of like surprised himself at how good he was at fighting. Okay, he was. Uh, I saw a lot of myself in him mm-hmm. when I was younger. You know, he's a younger guy, yeah. and. Uh, he was like super excited that he was he had a really good first fight him and i were closest buddies on the team yeah and uh he picked my brain quite a bit yeah he uh yeah he he made his name quite early on and then there's a couple of guys that challenged him throughout the season and he never backed down so yeah he was definitely he was definitely uh the enforcer on that team uh, which i was really happy to have someone else to have to step up to the plate in case it had to happen cuz I'd been out of the game for a while, and yeah. I, I don't feel like getting back into it, to be honest. Yeah, and then uh, that season, was it a trade? Uh, the team that you were traded to, or or however that worked out, is the team you're still on now? Is it uh, Polprad, or am I saying that wrong? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I got traded. Um, um, yeah, I just got traded. They, The team that has me now, they really wanted to get me. They wanted to make a playoff run, and... Um, you know, offered something that the other team took, and uh, this team at the time was in second place. My team was battling to make playoffs, and mm-hmm. uh, I came here. I had a really great time. It's super beautiful here. We live in the mountains. Uh, it's unreal. 
And I uh, I re-signed another contract, like another year here in February, about a week before the corona came. So mm-hmm. very lucky. Now, do you play your old team and uh, you and Consta ever butt heads? No, I I don't think I would ever butt heads with Consta. Consta and I are really good buddies. Mm-hmm. And if we had to fight because something happened in the game, <laughs> it would be really awkward for me to fight against him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I talked to him three four times a week on the phone and uh we're good buddies so never i haven't played against the const is on a different team now too oh, okay okay still in this league so i will play him but uh i don't think we'd ever fight okay well there is some ho- i'm happy to bring this the legend of constant in north america so uh it gives <laughs> it gives hope for everyone that likes to have guys like that around even uh all over the world so good for him yeah, yeah. Now, uh, and now your season. Uh, when uh, when I messaged you the other day, and I saw that uh, you had posted something on social media, I was surprised. Now, uh, are you in uh, exhibition season now with your uh, with your league? Yeah, we're still in exhibition season. Our season's supposed to start October second. Okay. And um, what happened in that game that you had posted about uh, that you wanted to clarify some things because I guess maybe uh, some of the fans were giving you a hard time about something. But what happened in that game? Um, so like the goalie froze the puck mm-hmm. after a shot on that and, uh, everyone stopped playing cause the, we were expecting a whistle and the referee wouldn't blow it even though it wasn't like, even though our player was close enough to where you should blow it. And so the referee played the puck, played the puck and we wanted a whistle cause we needed a change. And I skated in quite hard, like from the blue line to get that whistle when at the exact same time, the goalie moved the puck to his right. When I followed it, there's one of the players who was totally unexpected, not expecting anything, was right behind one of my guys who was also just waiting for the whistle. When the guy, the goalie played the puck, my player moved towards the puck, and this kid was just standing there and right in my uh, in my wheelhouse, and I, I I trampled him on accident. I ran over him. Yeah. Um, and he he really injured his knee quite badly, and I uh, I reached out to him. Well, I, as soon as it happened, mm-hmm. I went over and I told him it was an accident. And after the game, I reached out and I told him, I, I hope you recover quick. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, I saw that this video of my, uh, well, I guess you could call it hit, but yeah. I want to say accident, was mm-hmm. being shared. And it was going quite fast. Like, it was going, uh, a lot of people had shared it. And I was like, holy fuck, like, I don't want to get this name where I'm a dirty player. I don't mind being a physical player, but not the kind of guy who's just a piece of shit, you know. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. This kid has had done absolutely nothing to me. I don't even know him. That even if I did know someone, I would never intentionally injure their knee. Right. And so uh, I was like, I'm 31 years old, and I could be having some negative consequences for my future yep. career when people are going to look me up, and all you see is this, like, oh, Dal Houston purposely injures someone. And then I decided to kind of stick up for myself, and, well, for my name, and I yeah. said, like, it's an accident. Mm-hmm. Like, and that... That, that post that I made got shared way more times than the first one, so I think it's all good now. But just uh, saw that, and I was like, fuck, I can't have that on my name because it's not true. Yeah. Well, uh, Mike, you're, this this interview for me was unbelievable because, like I said, your your journey, you played all over the world. I loved it. I'm, I'm happy. Uh, you know, selfishly, I'm happy that you were part of the Islanders organization for part of one year because uh, I always like having guys like you on the team. I, I wish it had worked out better for you. Um, but uh, 
I got so much out of this interview. I really appreciate it. And the one question that I always finish up with is, um, did I forget anything? Did I forget to ask anything about your career that maybe uh, you'd like to bring up? Uh, no, I think that you nailed it. I, 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 uh, it's my first time I've done a, in a podcast like this, where it's constantly like from beginning of my career to the end of my, or to my current career status. And I, it was really nice to take a little trip down memory lane, to be honest. I really loved it. And, uh, no, I, I, I'm very, uh, very happy with how it went and, and thank you so much for doing all your good research, uh, you did a really good job of that, and I appreciate that. Well, thanks, Mike. And uh, listen, uh, it was a pleasure having you on. I'd love to keep in touch, and uh, good luck this season, and uh, have a great day. Hey, Dan, thanks very much. Well, it's nighttime here, eh? Oh, yeah. Have a, <laughs> have a great night. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Hey, have a great day yourself. All right, talk to you later. All right, bye. All right, bye. Thanks again to Mike Dalhusen for doing that interview. Uh, I really appreciate him making the time for me, like I said, especially with the time difference. Um, you know, it was pretty quick. I, I reached out to him. He agreed. We set it up and got it done. And I tell you, some of those stories are, are pretty fascinating, especially the Kazakhstan stuff. Oh, my God. It, it's, uh, it's interesting to hear them firsthand. Uh, and, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview as much as I enjoyed doing it. As far as next week goes, so uh, as I said in the other episodes, I'm going to start doing an interview followed by a solo episode. I have two options I'm giving myself for next week's solo episode. Uh, one of them would be the uh, ultimate top 10 Islander enforcer list, which would basically be uh, a combination of the four previous episodes that I've done where I rank, the, rank them by position. So uh, the point of doing those, obviously, uh, I thought uh, was to bring you some entertaining listening, but the ultimate point of that was to go through stats, go through numbers, go through what I've seen with my own eyes, and uh, compare guys at their positions, and then basically come up with this ultimate top 10 list that I think will be different than any top 10 list that I've ever done before, taking every factor that I've spoken about in those other episodes into consideration. So that's one choice. The other choice is um, going to be the first episode of the idea that I have I've told you about in the other episodes that I think will be pretty interesting. Obviously, I don't want to give that away. Uh, not that I think I'm putting a flag down anywhere, but uh, uh, if anyone is wondering, I'd like to keep uh, a little suspense going. But uh, rest assured that there will be uh, a new episode next week, a solo episode. And then the following week, we're going to do things a little different. Um, it's going to be a player who has never played in the Islander organization, but played against a lot of guys who have. And we're going to get uh, his thoughts. We're going to rattle off some names of Islander enforcers that you've heard of, guys he's played with and played against. And uh, this guy's a terrific storyteller, so I know the episode's going to be very interesting. And then, of course, the week after that, I'll have another solo episode. So uh, I just hit you with a lot of info. Do what I do. Just take it day by day and week by week. And uh, I hope everyone's doing well out there. Everybody have a great week. Be safe and uh, have a great day. Mm -hmm.